Hey, we're going again with Tom Comet from Drone Boy. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for coming down and hanging out with us for a couple hours. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. I can't believe I walk. I, I was expecting this to be in your kitchen. <clears throat> in your in my kitchen. <laughs> I don't know. And I walked in and there's like this whole like thing going on. You got a <laughs> production studio and it's lights and it's almost intimidating. Yeah, my, my wife try to be cool. My wife would hate that in the kitchen. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do anything in the kitchen. This It'd is the so only much room, better. This is the only room she lets me put something on the walls. Well, you've put a lot of stuff on the walls. <laughs> it's got, pretty cool stuff. Huh? I've got more, but man, this it, it's only so so uh, so big. Do you like the trucks? I do. So I've got a die. I've got a diecast collection myself, but it's a little different. I've got uh, cranes. I used to do a lot of work with cranes, so the crane guys would give me the diecast. <laughs> crane models no kidding yeah they admit like they're good like the lieber cranes like if you if you buy one you get a, a free die cast model if you buy a you know million dollar crane they give you you know thirty dollars oh that's awful <laughs> nice of them <laughs> that's hilarious so the crane guys have lots of them and they anyway with another gig that i used to do we used to be doing that so, wow yeah and you have a, cl- a crane collection. I got a few of them. I got a few of them. The cats oh. tend to knock them over so and then did they you, break. So did you actually buy an, uh, enough million-dollar cranes to get this collection? I didn't buy did any you... cranes. I bought... Okay. <laughs> I, I hired crane guys. Okay. So when we're talking cranes. We're not talking movie cranes. We're talking industrial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, big sure. yeah sure. Yeah. But to have all the die-cast models. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Until the cats break them. That's yeah, cool. yeah. That's, that's why cool. Randy doesn't have a cat. I, got a, no, yeah, I don't I, have a cat. I've got... Uh, I've got my old BMW motorcycle, die-cast, the GS Adventure, 1200 Adventure, die-cast. I think I bought the model before I got the bike. It was like one of those affirmations. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that with die-cast. They're like, I want this. I'll buy the little one that I can afford, and then one day I'll have Yeah, the, yeah. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> the scale model of your life. So. Yeah. And, and then uh, I've got, oh, I got some helicopter stuff and some airplane stuff. Just a few, though. I mean, I'm not, nothing like this. You don't have an idea. I do. I know. I'm kidding. We'll get oh, to that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah this is I'm all just I'm surprised I didn't truck. tell you already. Usually, like, it's like the first oh. 30 seconds of any conversation. Oh, no, but... If you talk I, to a pilot, it's like, oh, did you know I fly? We've had this conversation, <laughs> so you did do that within 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I already checked that box. That was many 30 seconds ago. That's wicked. <laughs> so, hey, tell us. Okay, so I'm going to ask you. Is Comet your real name? Comet's... A little bit like the diecast models. Um, when I was younger, I wanted to. Uh, I grew up in a small place in rural BC, and I wanted to kind of ex- escape that world and become a little larger than life, mm-hmm. if you will. And it and it didn't start with the work that I'm doing now. It's just always been a part of my life. Um, so going back then, I wanted to get out of there. I wanted to do something interesting. I wanted to do big things. At that point, I thought circus and, and juggling was actually what I wanted to do in my life. So that was what I set my heart into and started out on that path. And I needed a better name. Like the name, my legal name was just kind of boring. No one knew how to spell it. It didn't, it didn't roll off the tongue. It wasn't that exciting. So can, Tom, can I try? It's uh, Holland. Holland. Tom Holland. No, Tom Holland. 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 H-U. Oh, interesting. Yeah, not many people know that. Oh, now everybody knows that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you got to delete Shit. that part. No, I, I, mean, I, I mean, and now, yeah. So anyway, I, I invented Tom Comet, and he was a little larger than life, and I got started getting stars tattooed here and there, and I ran off to circus school. But it had nothing to do with the cleanser. No. Well, it's, no, sort of. It didn't. <laughs> but then that became my logo, actually. Really? So I had, like, Tom Comet... 
And then oh. S- Superstar Stunt Performer was listed underneath that with the, the five stars oh. from the Comet logo. So I totally ripped off the Comet logo. And that was, that was my logo. I'll send you a copy of that. That was my logo for the longest time. It's actually a pretty good, it was a pretty good logo. It was kind of fun. Sweet. So that and the cleanser people up. didn't say a word. Well, I never got big enough for them to <laughs> even notice. Ah. So Circus and Juggler. That was kind of the first iteration of of me was well that was one of the first iterations of me was getting into juggling it's sort of a progression in my life or a a repeating uh thing in my life where i start doing something and then i just do it to the nth degree like crazy like i used to juggle eight ten twelve hours a day like like freaky Wow. Like, wow. I, I once I juggled did. for a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I couldn't find the third ball, so I <laughs> never mind. So, yeah. I, I, well, my favorite joke uh, recently is uh, what do you do when attacked by a group of clowns? Juggle? Go, go for the juggler. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. yeah that's pretty good. good. Yeah, it's not a good one. It's, it's, it's not I a like good joke. I like it. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was the the beginning of Tom Comet, but then it's just it's just kind of stayed as my name, and that's what everybody knows me as now. So there's no sense in changing it. It's not of course. Le- it's not legal, but it's it causes no end of confusion, right? You know, when they're trying to book travel for you, <laughs> your hotel, your well, that's you know, fun. Yeah, it's like that's cool. Half my life trying. It's cool to, name. So ten and twelve hours a day juggling. What what do you? Jug- oh hey, you used to juggle chainsaws. Correct. Yeah, so. I don't imagine that's what you started with. No, you don't start with chainsaws. You start with <laughs> you start with one one thing, and then you do two things, and then you do three, and that I can do juggling. one. Yeah, and then you work your way up from there, and then you start to discover what works, what people like, what's impressive. You know, fiery things, sharp things, and uh, I imagine as things. how old were you when you started? Uh, I was. I, I actually learned in high school. Or it was a kind of a cool thing. Our English teacher in grade ten, he came in. He'd he'd learned how to juggle. And he came in and he taught the class, or he tried to teach the class how to juggle. Anybody who learned, either you learned or you didn't, but the idea was you had to write a descriptive paragraph oh. for other people how to teach someone how to juggle or how to try to learn how to juggle. Oh, so, wow. And Good was, technique to get the kids writing. Yeah. Yeah. And, true. And juggling, I guess. But so <laughs> true. I learned and I didn't, and I just sort of put it aside. It was one of those things that I learned. I was like, oh, it's cool, whatever. Put it aside. And then a few years later, I went to, I was sort of doing the running away from home thing. And I ended up in San Francisco in hanging out in Golden Gate Park. And I don't know if you've been to Golden Gate Park no. in San Francisco, but on Sundays, it's kind of the day when everybody really hangs out in Golden Gate Park. And there's an area where the jugglers always meet and juggle and do their stuff. And I was, I stumbled hmm. across that area and I, I ran into these guys who were just amazing like some of the best jugglers in the world or certainly in north america who happen to live in san francisco and go there every sunday and i was just it was it was kind of like again what has happened many times in my life i i saw it and it was like that's amazing you see a dude or two dudes there passing 12 clubs back and forth on yeah, a, on a yeah, beautiful yeah. sunny day in san francisco like utopic you know scene and the time just slows down and you see it, and it's just, they're making it look effortless and perfect. And For sure. How old would you have been then? 17. Okay. Yeah, I was probably about 17 then. Um, and I saw it, and I was like, that's what I want to do. You know, and I was just like, I put a circle around that and just started 
working towards doing that. Signed up for circus classes in town, you know, worked with the local circus, trained, went and, you know, went and did it all day long as much as I could, worked construction on the side to make enough money to eat. Yeah. And I just juggled, if you can believe it. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. I'm wow. convinced. I believe it. <laughs> wow. But, and then, and then I became it like you did it. I did it long enough that I became it. And then you're doing it so much. You need to make a living doing it. So I started, uh, started busking, you know, that's the easy stepping stone to, to getting in there. And that led to doing that for a long time. I went to England, went to circus school in England. Um, I met another guy who was equally as obsessed with it as me. And we sort of put together a double act and we got right into it. We bought a $300 40 Conaline van and drove it across <laughs> Canada to the, ju- to the juggling convention in, <clears throat> in uh, Montreal. Um, did that and then found out about the circus school in Europe that we could apply for. So we flew over to Europe, auditioned, stayed for three months um, because we got in, stayed for three months and worked and then, went to went to circus now when you went did you perform then in the circus not uh not in the circus per se um yeah europe's a little a little different like when you say the word circus over here in north america you get the idea of either ringling brothers old school almost like lions and tigers and bears although they're kind of don't really have the lions and tigers and bears so much anymore or cirque du soleil those are like the two versions of circus in north america you go to a place like europe circus is a much different thing there's little small troops there's there's uh, it's a lot more grassroots there's a lot more diversity to it sure there's big stuff but there's there's little stuff going on too there's lots of little festivals there's performance there's sort of a hybrid of theater and circus arts a little bit more over there as opposed to you know the North American bright red hair and the right nose and the, yeah, yeah. the kind of atypical uh-huh. stuff that you see over here I was way more into the European side of it and we, after circus school, we just busked. We traveled around Europe. We followed the sun. We were in Europe in the summers. We'd go to Australia, New Zealand in the winters, um, and just tour around and live in everybody's dream. Make cash yeah. money. It was it was a dream at the time. Um, it was great. You, you're traveling around, making cash money, staying in hotels or staying with friends or or whatever, going to festivals. Eventually, putting together like a press kit and a video. You were always you know scraping together a video and trying to trying to. It was sort of before internet or the internet was just kind of started during that not to mention all the juggling groupies yeah there was a little bit of that too it was a life it was a lifestyle thing i can imagine that's brilliant i have a question yeah okay so with with, for anyone listening or watching and they take three balls Mm -hmm. or three little oranges that's what i was practicing with Mm -hmm. how do you juggle like what's the trick what's we'll put two of them down Okay. And start with one. Okay. You you have your hands out in front of you like this. Yeah. One ball in one side. You throw it up to the other hand. Yeah. And you try to do that as smoothly and fluidly as possible. Then you throw it back and you try to sort of not look at your hands because obviously once you have more than sure more than one ball you can't be watching more than one thing at a time. Can't wink at a groupie if you're watching. In your peripheral vision, you're just throwing that one ball back and forth. Yeah. And if you're if you have the patience to do that for an hour or two, like maybe over time, it'll make it a lot easier to do than two and then three. Most people, they, they just try to pick up three. They try three, drops on the floor. They say, I can't juggle. Well, of course you can't juggle. You didn't learn how to juggle. It's like 
be like trying to get in a, a, the, if you didn't fly a helicopter, getting in the controls of a helicopter and expecting to be able to fly a helicopter. You can't yeah. do it. Well, that's you easy need to too, do, isn't it? Sure. Yeah, it's easy. If you do the incremental <laughs> steps, it's, it's like any of this stuff. There's a recipe to Okay, it. so what do you do with the two then? So two, you start with one in each hand, throw the first one. When the first ball gets to its, what's there's Mid a word apex? Mid a pogi or the, uh, yeah, the apex of its flight, you throw the other one under it and it goes up and lands back in your first hand. So you go whoop, 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 catch, catch. So throw, throw, catch, catch. Okay. Then start with the other hand, throw, throw, catch, catch. Yeah. Right? Then throw, throw, catch, catch. And then you do that for another couple hours yeah. until you're really good at that. Then you add the third ball. So then there's no break in it. It's throw, throw, catch, throw, catch, throw, catch, throw, catch, throw. Everything's going across. Boom, boom, Interesting. Boom. Yeah, a lot of yeah. people try to do, they, they're trying to pass it from one hand to the other. They always have a strong hand and a weak hand. So they're trying to pass one ball underneath and one over the top. And they're trying to do that. And that, that's a that's a different pattern of juggling. But the basic, it's called the cascade pattern of, uh, it's called the, I can't remember. It's been so long. I think this mm. one's cascade. Anyway, the basic pattern is everything goes up the middle. I can draw it out on a piece of paper for you. I can yeah. do it. But then when you, you get to something like, uh, like uh, <clears throat> chainsaws, I mean, yeah, now you're catching a handle. You're catching something completely. That's so, a new thing. So again, you break it down. You, you, <clears throat> yeah, the chainsaws is a whole bunch of steps you got to break yeah, down. Like yeah, I, yeah. you had to learn how. You had to find the right saw that was small enough and light enough. Like back then, electric saws didn't exist. Nowadays, people are juggling with electric saws. Poo poo. It doesn't even count if you ask me. But uh, okay. yeah, that's just yeah, too yeah, easy. Yeah. That's yeah. just too easy. Yeah, but I'd start with that. We're, we're the stunt coordinators on Canada's Got Talent. <laughs> okay. And we've both done different things on that. But yeah. I was there once for, for a chainsaw okay. juggler. It's quite fascinating. Yeah. He, he had to put another di different handle on them. Yeah, you got to put a different. So you got to get a custom handle built. You've got to learn how. You've got to learn <clears> which way the saw is spinning. It spins a certain way, so if it's got centrifugal force, you got to flip it upside down. Otherwise, when you throw it, it's just going to spaz out on you. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got to do a bunch of stuff to make it work. And then you've got to figure out how to... So you, again, you go back to basics. You start with just the, the saw. You take the chain off it, but you have it running because otherwise you don't have the centrifugal force. Right. It's totally different. You try to juggle a chainsaw that's not running, it's actually 10 times harder because it doesn't oh, that's spin interesting. on itself. Yeah. Don't try huh. this at home, folks. Right. Yeah, if you have a chainsaw, True. leave it where it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. And then you've got to figure out how to <clears throat> do that with two other objects. So sure. at first, like for the longest time, I mean, when you first learn, you learn with two balls and a, and a chainsaw. Then it was like, well, that's not that impressive. So for the longest time, I juggled a chainsaw, a bowling ball, and an egg. That was <laughs> my gig. And I ate one of the objects. Yeah. Guess which one? Huh. <laughs> 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 well, I didn't eat it. I'd catch the egg in my mouth. I mean, you're still yeah. here, so we're hoping it's the egg. Yeah. yeah. And and actually, for me, I kind of I sort of had assumed that doing three was impossible because again, like what you said with how do you do three balls? How do you start with two ch chainsaws in one hand and one in the other hand? Yeah, that was the the thing that I really didn't figure out. And I actually saw another guy. There was a guy, Mad Chad Taylor from Los Angeles. I toured with in <laughs> Europe one summer, and I saw him, and he had it figured out. So he had the third saw. You get them all running. One of them has a little tip protector on it. So instead of the chain going right to the end of the bar, it yeah. had a little thing that stuck off the end of the bar. He'd rest it against his, his leg with the 
bar facing down rested against his leg, but the tip wouldn't stub into the ground because it had okay. that little tip protector. Throw the first one, throw the second one, reach down, grab the third one, oh and then he God. could get going like that. Yeah, the guy I saw had them between his legs. He put one between his legs and made a joke, of course. Uh, it was sure. quite funny. You start that's the single. Okay, so that's a new technique. I haven't. He put it down one. between his legs and then just and pulled it out. Was he electric or gas? Uh, I think he had gas. Yeah, good. Gas is Whoa. where it's at. Cause it's, yeah, no, he had gas. gas. Yeah, it's, it's, Why is it, that? It's it's just loud and intense. Oh, it's sure, okay. Like you're you're it's and you're more basically of a presentation. Yeah, and you're you're sort of poisoning yourself as you go. You're breathing two stroke. Yeah, you I know, like that. Fumes as it's going. The yeah. longer you go, the more spaced so, out you get. It's you know, just I, like that's what I want to see from my axe. But I yeah, but I think <laughs> I think that the way the world's going. All chainsaw jugglers are going to have to go electric. Oh, I think there's. A, I think the liberal government's <laughs> mandating. Uh, yeah, mandating elect, that. electric chainsaw are they for juggling. For real, for real, for no. real. Because <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. But you can get grant money. So if you're a chainsaw juggler and you're switching from gas to electric, they'll they'll give you. They've got a. That's, that's <laughs> They've got a subsidy. That is really that. funny. Man. Oh my god. Okay, so I, I honestly, a, that's not far fetched, man. That's believable. Not. Well, somebody's going to hear this and then say, "Hey, I've got an idea," and they're going to yeah, take it to yeah, Parliament. True. Or um, they're going to write in and say, I want my grant money. And they're going to they're say, what? <laughs> <laughs> what does one learn, Tom, at circus school? Like you, you go to this, you apply, they, they take you. How do you, okay, one, what, what do you have to take there? How do they decide Obviously you're the guy? How to juggle uh, on a unicycle. That was, why we, that was why we chose going to England as opposed to actually, because we tried to get into circus school in Montreal. Ecole Nationale de Cirque, which is basically the, the circus school that gets people into Cirque du Soleil. Okay. But we weren't good enough. We were like, because we were, we were jugglers. We were just hippie jugglers. And that's all we really cared about was juggling. Um, for Ecole Nationale de Cirque in Montreal, you needed to be able to do a handstand for like three minutes. You needed to be able to, you had to mm. sort of be able to do all these different things or be really good at all these different things. You had to be able to do a backflip. I can't do a backflip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Backflip. I mean... I guess maybe if I put my mind to it, but that was not sure. what I wanted to do. Yeah, I wanted right. to, to juggle stuff. We went over to this school in England and it was more of a, it was kind of a, more of an intro. It was like a one year intro to circus. It was a little, they were teaching us a little bit of everything, but they didn't care that we were just good at sort of one thing. Juggling was what we were really keen on. But then we did trapeze. We did, you know, acrobatics. We did, uh, that school was cool because they taught us, it was a lot more theatrical stuff to it. There was like clown training, um, they also did healing stuff, like how to keep your body going. If you're going to be doing circus your whole life, your cool. body's going to start sure. to fall apart, which is what they should be teaching stunt people too. You know, here's this type of healing method. We have someone in teaching you that. We, we They covered the hmm. whole spectrum of stuff. And it was, our class had everybody from like young, you know, super athletic acrobat type people to we had a 40-year-old nun lady who would, who would quit being a nun and she wanted to get into circus and she was... She was doing this class. Is that what as well. we call them now? Nun, nun ladies. Nun, nun ladies. Yeah. Nun type ladies. Yeah, nun I get type. it. <laughs> I knew exactly what you meant. Well, that's interesting. And she'd come to the pub with us. And Could great. you imagine this, this young lady? She became a nun. She went through everything that you go through to become a nun. But in the back of her mind, she really she wanted, wanted to be, to be a circus performer. <laughs> and she did it. God it, bless her. That's awesome, man. That's so it was, a, yeah, it was a real mixed, mixed bag. Um, and it was and it was great. And we made lots of contacts. And then Bob ended up buying this bus, this like forty foot diesel coach from someone in England, like an old defunct bus. And we just drove around the continent all summer in that bus and Europe and busked and 
Busked and busted. And <laughs> so now, <laughs> when you were time. when you were young and you were thinking about juggling, what was your end game in mind? I mean, considering that you have a million things that you do and uh, and who you are today uh, with Drone Boy, I mean, I didn't. I, I've never been. I've been good at. I've been, uh, in my whole life. I've always been good at going that. I want to be able to do that and be able to do that, and usually quite quickly. Sometimes within a few months or a few weeks or. You, you know, got the drive, but then, okay, what's the next, what's the, how does that fit into the big picture of my life? Um, that's the part I'm not maybe as, as good at. I get that. And then I'm like, oh my God, I've got this. Huh. No I don't more. know if I want to do this anymore. Oh, like right. I, I've done, yeah. and I've done that a lot in my life too. <clears throat> like I actually don't juggle. I, I don't do circus stuff anymore. I mean, I can, but I do, it's just, I have no, int- I have zero interest in it. Uh, I'm glad I did it. I don't feel like it was a waste of time, um, but I'm happy to be doing something else. Like I, a lot of people that I worked with then, like there were street performers that travel around that do this stuff and we'd travel with the same group and you'd see people all over the world and it was, it was fun. It was a really cool little community. There's still a lot of my friends on Facebook. Most of them are still doing the exact same thing and it's awesome. They love it. They're, they're living their best life. I'm like, Oh, I don't want, I, like, I own a house now. I've got a sort of a different career. I'm in a different world. I've lived two or three different lives actually since then. And I'm really thankful for that. And I'll, and I probably won't do drones forever. I'll end up, that'll evolve. Um, for me, it's been an evolution. This leads to that. I don't know what the end game is, but I know what the next thing is. And it leads to the next thing, the next right. thing, the next thing. And it's always been something it, yeah, it's almost always been something super exciting. You're kind of at the in the middle of the ex, uh, the action, if you will. Like with the drone stuff now, we're right at the pointy <clears> end. <throat> we're with the DP. We're with the director. We're right there where the stunts you happening. Sure the stuff's are. blowing up. We're, yeah, man. And we're, if anything, we're the closest <clears throat> camera angle to that stuff a lot of the time. Um, I always want to be there, and usually it's in a doing something stressful. Usually it's doing something with something that's really hard something that not many other people would be able to figure out how to do because <clears throat> it's a bunch of different skills put together. Like if you're going to learn how to juggle a chainsaw, you can't just be the juggler. You've got to be someone who knows about chainsaws and mechanics and how to build stuff and fabricate stuff and work with work with different people that way. How do the logistics of, oh my God, I've got a gig in Austria. I need to get my three special chainsaws <clears throat> to Austria. Totally. How the hell am I going to do that? You know, or any of that stuff. And it's, and <clears throat> you've only got one shot at it. Like we used to do, like you mentioned, America's got, or Canada's got talent. <clears throat> I used to do a lot of TV shows. You go to on those TV shows, you do your whole spiel and you got your gags and whatever. And then you fire up the three saws and there's all, you, you just, you got to do it. Like if you, if you fuck it up it's like everybody's ease like it's terrible not to mention you're juggling chainsaws but i mean you're yeah you're the guy that said you're gonna juggle three running chainsaws and you messed up yeah man wow <laughs> drop, drop yeah. one chain falls off it you're there with your like chainsaw tool trying to put your chain back on and the floor director's ten thousand people out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> like it's on <laughs> you know it's gotta it's gotta work yeah and I mean, the drones are are kind of similar. Like we haven't talked about that stuff at all, but that's fine. We'll, well, get, we, we'll, we'll get, get there. there. We've we'll got some time. <laughs> this is a seven hour podcast. <laughs> yeah. The um um. So what was your what was your exit from the circus? Where did you go? It was it wasn't an exit so much as an evolution. Well, so yeah, circus and street performance 
led to, I don't know if you guys remember this part of the world. I, I saw the Jim Rose Circus Sideshow like back, back in the day. Yes, I, I remember Jim Rose. Jim, Jim Rose, he, he, he uh, single-handedly brought the genre of Sideshow back to North American culture. Sideshow was something that existed back in the old days. It was yeah. like the freak show off the side of the circus. He made that a new thing sort of in the late 90s. He started touring. Uh, he did Lollapalooza. was his first big oh, wow. concert with that. He uh, opened for Nine Inch Nails. So he did a tour with Nine Inch Nails. And he had like wow. a traveling, like a rock and roll style freak show. Um, no bet, kidding. Like Bed of Nails, uh, The Tattooed Man, Sword Swallowers, Mr. Lifto, who would lift up heavy objects with piercings in his nipples and his nether regions um yeah that's awesome whoa awesome, awesome stuff lifting so, stuff with your nether regions and then <laughs> at some at some point in in my little world we went and saw that show and i was like wow that's what i want to do so i called him up and then i ended up touring with him for a while i was his chainsaw juggler no way. For a that's good cool show. and that was actually why i got into juggling chainsaws he's like oh we got this chainsaw juggler he's no good he smells bad or something they didn't like touring he only with has seven he fingers was a, he was yeah. a good no he was a great juggler they didn't like touring with him right because uh, his personality his personality didn't fit in so he's like well and i was only doing the one chainsaw at that point he's like well if you can do three if you can up your game to three and that was what sort of promoted my brain to going okay i gotta figure out this oh, that's a three trip. chainsaw thing and then i toured with him for a while doing the stunt show thing um but that didn't last long we did uh we did a North American tour. We did like 56 cities in two months and one week. So it was literally like, like Whoa, it was like that rock massive. and roll thing where you're like, Very what cool. city are we in? Like yeah, you're looking yeah. down at your, your, your set list and it says the name of the city and you're like, oh my God, I didn't know we were in Brings Dallas. back that circus groupie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like that a little bit. But anyway, <laughs> it was fun for a, for a little while. It was a lot of fun. I can say I've been on tour and done that life right so now briefly. okay so huh. but but you but you you evolved as you said which causes an exit from that life yeah so i wanted to i wanted to do my own stunt shows i hooked up with another girl this this lady christine taylor she's uh, she did a lot of acting and, and theater and one woman shows here in canada we we got together hit it off she suggested that we put together a double show. So we started to put together our own touring stunt show that would do theaters. We weren't out on the street anymore. We had more control. She was more into writing, writing scripts and writing, writing a little, little more theatrical stuff, but then working in the stuff that I did. She dressed up like a nurse. I was the chainsaw juggler guy. I had some other stuff I did too. I was also, I had a character called Lawnmower Man. So I'd come on in like this little purple g-string and a cape with big l on the back and i'd have a sorry you missed that one we need pictures of this there's one. a picture <laughs> i sent you guys the pictures okay, okay sweet, that one's sweet. going up sweet so i have a flymo lawnmower i don't know if you remember the flymo it doesn't have wheels it hovers on a bed of air but it's like a lawnmower that's I think a hovercraft I yeah so i've used it because it was a little bit lighter than the ones with wheels and then i'd flip it up and by the handle i'd balance it on my chin and then she'd throw a bunch of le heads of lettuce into the lawnmower blades and we what, what were you guys salad. doing when you came up with this thought we're trying to make money <coughs> <laughs> the more dangerous the more stupid the more money what do you want to do tomorrow <laughs> how about lawnmower man <laughs> that's so good so yeah there was lawnmower man there was chainsaw, but we had a whole bunch of gags i'd put a watermelon on her neck and saw it in half with the running chainsaw so it's button wow. half on her on the back of her neck and just 
you know, that kind of stuff. But cool, in the process of doing this live show, I was, I was kind of enamored with pyrotechnics. I saw pyrotechnics on stage and what people were doing, what some of the bands were doing. Sometimes we'd open for bands and stuff, and we'd see this stuff. And I was like, wow, I want to do pyro with the stuff that I'm doing. Um, so I was, I was still in Vancouver at the time. So I called around to all the effects coordinators in town saying, I want to learn pyro. I want to learn pyro. I went out and did my license, got my pyro license. I have my license. And they're like, we don't care. Like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's like. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't imagine somebody phoning me and saying that. <laughs> you Don't come near my house. Don't, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I get, I still get that now. I and mean, I was like, yeah, don't come there. But, um, I finally found one guy who was had his own little pyro company. He did union work and non-union work. He did live shows. He did corporate stuff. Like he kind of he did everything from weddings to to shows. Um, and he was like, "Yeah, come come and work for me." So I I basically became his sort of slave helper for wow. a couple of years. But he really knew he knew everything from like the chemistry side of it to electronics to building firing systems to fabricating mortars and, and like everything you needed to know to become a all-rounded pyro guy. And I, I did that in Vancouver for uh, a couple of years. And then, um, yeah, I, we started building it into our own live show. So we'd have, you know, a big pyro finale at the end of the show, or we'd have, you know, stuff would blow up like the watermelon instead of cutting it in half with the saw, it'd just explode. And Off her it. neck? It, de- it depends. There'd always be different context. This girl. I gotta meet this girl. <laughs> yeah, Christine she's Taylor. She's, she's, she's gone now, but I mean, she's not gone. She's still around, but she's... Yeah, I, I imagine she's yeah, around. She is around. She, If she was gone, it would have been your fault, I'm sure, with the yeah. chainsaw. Yeah. Can you imagine? She blew up a watermelon on her neck. She's around. Well, you know what's funny is you say stunt show, and I when I, when I was out on Canada's Got Talent, um, you know, they they really didn't want to do some of these fire acts and stuff without a stunt coordinator there. That's and um, it makes a lot of sense, except when, you know, they're asking me, it's a live show. It's not It's not what I do. It's not TV. Um in a live show, they got this guy who wants to hang upside down. He's got a, he's got um, <clears throat> a sling that's uh, you know it's fire retardant and everything, so it's not going to burn through. But that's the idea, and that's what the crowd thinks might happen. Um, but then underneath him, he's got this, um, he's got kind of a a, a a flat dolly with a bunch of steel things pointing up at him. Mm-hmm. Those things could have been foam. In mm-hmm. on TV, they would not be there. We would, yeah. that would just go in after, after in post, um, you know, and the, when they asked, you know, uh, so, you know, what, at first glance, you know, what would you, how would you change things? What are you talking about? I would take all of this out. Yeah. All of this. Fake at it. some point I was just like, you guys got to do what you got to do. All I can do is kind of safety it and, and make sure that everything comes out as clean as possible with as little blood as possible. You know, so uh, I imagine when you say stunt show, it had to have been a mistake or there had to have been something, um, you know. I mean, it's fun to watch some dangerous shit happen. But, uh, you know, on set we have mistakes. Mistakes have happened. Yeah, no, for sure. I remember one time doing that cheesy lawnmower act, balancing the lawnmower on my chin. (laughs) And it, the lawnmower was designed to be lightweight and foldable. So the handle used to fold in um, half so it had these yeah. these uh eye bolts that would that would that you could loosen to fold the handle in half and i remember i was balancing it and i remember seeing bing, like the eye bolts just flew out and then the lawnmower oh, flipped 
and then then it's coming straight down blade first and i just sort of deflected and, it away and, and is it, it running and it's running yeah that's how you make the salad otherwise you just, oh that's, <laughs> of course i forgot about the lettuce it's the world's most dangerous salad <laughs> <laughs> that's <It's> hilarious <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. So there was stuff like that. But I mean, I got, I was lucky. I mean, I did, because we did pyro in our live shows, which, I mean, it ended up evolving to a different thing than stunts soon after that. But um, yeah, I've had stuff blow up in my face. You know, you have stuff that's bigger than it's, yeah. you know, the yeah. old pyro thing. It's like, oh, look at this. It's going to be a little boom. And it's like the whole universe right. collapses. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've been involved with that stuff. Yeah. I mean, we've all seen it. We've all seen, if you've been on set, I mean, usually I find on set these days, if anything, the pyro's more under, like they make a big, big deal about it and then they do it and it's like, yeah, under, yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah, for sure. But then every now and then, you know, we had one a little last two years ago where it was like, oh yeah, it's going to be this. They made sort of a medium sized deal about it. And then there was literally like four inch, I won't say what show it was on, four inch wooden posts blowing up and one sealed right past our cart where we're doing our oh stuff my god and like went right through a one of the set pieces that was yeah. right beside the cart like a four inch long, like five foot long four inch diameter wooden post wow i mean it just... and everybody wants to watch it everybody on set wants to watch it and yeah. in, as part of same with the drone stuff they want to get absolutely close to the action they want to get and i'm just like get the same with pyro and drunk. Get everybody. 100%. doesn't need to be here. needs to be a long, long, long As part away. of my safety speech, I always tell people, if you can see the bomb, the bomb can see you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really? And, and there's been some issues, you know, in, in the past. But Well, as far as I've ever, in my experience, every bomb that we've ever had, any car blown up or anything, it's always, some piece has always gone further than anyone ever said or expected. Sure. Always. Yeah. One I did a show a while back, a couple of years ago, and we were blowing up a, a house trailer. And everybody wanted to watch this because it's huge. And the house trailer is actually practical. With the exception of a few cuts here and there, it's pretty much practical. Um, everybody the safety place will be behind those trees, way back behind that fence. And I have a video I can show you where <laughs> part of that motor, uh, whatever it was, the trailer... <clears throat> went over the trees. Landed behind everybody. It was great. <laughs> Just to watch this huge beast <laughs> fly through the air it was great. Anyway, yeah, shit happens. I'm amazed how lucky we get a lot of the time. 100%. Like, yes. But I don't even know if it's luck. Like, it almost seems like uh, there's something else going on. Like, I've seen so many close calls throughout my whole life in lots of things that I've done from the live shows to, to you know, even just walking down the street, even just seeing someone on a cell phone punching in the phone and almost getting hit by a car but there's a there is something else going on that's keeping us safe a lot of the time like that day on the the show where the hmm. four foot or the six foot four foot diameter piece of wood flew past us why did we put the cart there we would have put it three feet sure. over that way ah uh, yeah 100 yeah, percent. yeah you're right yeah something everyone wrong. talks about close calls not a lot of people are there to talk about uh yeah when it actually happened or, mm -hmm. you know it's interesting it is hmm. So again, so you, you left circus and so left circus, started doing stunts, um, and then started wanted to, wanted to start to run my own show, wanted to have a little more control instead of, uh, like with the stunt show stuff, we were always like opening for bands. Like we had some, we had some great situations. We had some, I mean, I was in Australia one time with one of our shows and I remember there was, I had the chainsaw out and I was trying to get it started and it wasn't going and it was a huge Australian, uh, 
uh, outdoor music festival, and there was literally 10,000 drunken Aussies chanting wanker and th throwing, <laughs> throwing mostly full or partially full beer cans at me on the stage <laughs> and I'm tr it's trying to get the saw going and it's not going and then finally they go and I do and that was when I was doing chainsaw bowling ball egg and I did the did it caught the egg and then just like spit it all over like I just spewed it over the whole front row <laughs> and stormed off stage and like, we drove home that night and said I went it's not doing that anymore <laughs> <laughs> that's it awesome. was like that scene out of Blues Brothers when they're they're behind yeah, the mesh absolutely. and all the bottles are smashing off the mesh but there was oh, no mesh and it was yeah. it was cans but it was, it was unbelievable. There's a shot, there's a video from the side stage and it's just raining with ca beer cans and beer and bottles and yeah. Ah, uh, those Aussies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have that video at all? <laughs> I can look for it. <laughs> that's can, interesting. That's that cool. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, that's, that's awesome. So yeah, I just, I, I wanted to do bigger stuff. Um, I ended up, me and Christine went our separate ways. Uh, I've, I went across Canada. I did a went sort of went back to my roots. Started doing street performance again. Started doing the went back to. I actually rode a twelve foot high unicycle as well. Okay, Struggled just a second. Right on. Right on. On. I just a second. Yeah. I knew it. Have you ever tried to ride a unicycle? Yeah, I've tried. Yes, <laughs> yes, the not, operative word is tried. Yeah, right? yeah, hundred percent. See, I've tried. Mm -hmm. I could never get that bugger. No. How do you get on a twelve foot tall unicycle? Well, you need like a ladder. Or you got to. I mean, in my show, I'd climb up four people. Um, you'd, cl you'd clamber over four other bodies. But to make that more interesting, <laughs> I insisted on stripping down to just a G string. So I would wear just okay, a. Okay, so just a. <laughs> Tom's got issues. That was a second. It's a whole lot about you that I'm loving. Just a second. So I'd be this sweaty. At that point, I always shaved my head bald. So I'd be this sweaty bald. Got more muscular than I am now, guy climbing over four dudes that I just sort of get to help me out. And then in a G string, in a G string, just to make it fun. And uh, hmm. yeah, I always <laughs> find that fun. Maybe, so that's, maybe that's why I couldn't wear well, the, the unicycle. That's the trick. Do you wear a G string? No. Well, no, I, that is the thing. I, I may start. You gotta be, it's gotta, you gotta keep yourself nice and tidy down there and then yeah. it makes it easier <laughs> yeah yeah 100 100 this podcast is taking a turn i believe it i see this i'm going for a motorcycle <laughs> ride later this afternoon it's gonna be really nice yeah i don't know what i'm gonna wear yet but <laughs> there are choices <laughs> holy mackerel um so yeah that was that was what i did then but i went back to <laughs> back to doing that and uh and then I met the woman I'm, woman I'm with now, Rebecca, on tour. We did the Fringe tour across Canada. She was in a dance group. I was doing street. We, we didn't hook up on the tour because I was still sort of with Christine, but I wasn't. I was kind of running away from my life. Right. Ended up meeting her again like a year later in Vancouver when I was was properly single at that point. And yeah, and she remembered up. you f as being a, the, a tidy... The, the ti tidy... Tidy young man. Tidy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> She thought you were taller. You said, no, that was the unicycle. I, re <laughs> I remember you. And then we started putting shows together in Vancouver. We did, we kind of mix, started mixing the pyro in, doing these. We got hired by uh, more of the big sporting events, like Whistler Ski and Snowboard Festival. They do a big stage show. We had some contacts up there. We'd put together a big sort of pyro finale thing with people and equipment, machines, pyro, dancers, acting, costumes we do that kind of thing but vancouver kind of had a pretty limited uh there wasn't a lot of that stuff going on we saw some cool stuff coming out of europe mm. 
we saw some of these bigger spectacle performances that you see over in Europe. <clears throat> we decided to move, relocate to Toronto because she was from Ontario. Her family was out here. And right at that time, uh, the city of Toronto used to put on bigger shows. They'd bring in European groups to do giant shows at Nathan Phillips Square, like uh, these groups like Studio Festi out of, out of, the, out of Europe. Uh, they'd come over with these roaming machines and pyro and music and just these crazy ensemble hour-long spectacle shows and we were like wow this is amazing we want to start doing stuff like this so we started putting that kind of stuff together we started we built our first show was called uh tricycle so we built a 20 foot high tricycle if you will we cast a, a clown character friend of ours that we know she was the driver of this tricycle <laughs> it had flames it, sh it had a, a propane flame system that shot out of the chimney so it shot flames up out of the chimney it had uh, pyro that shot off it. It had a whole ensemble of characters, and it would roam around city squares or areas, and and performances <laughs> would happen impromptu around it. And then for the finale of it, we'd pull the, we'd jack up the front of it quickly. We had these quick release jacks that would pull the front wheel off. The front wheel was big enough that a person could stand inside the wheel, hook it up with a spreader bar to a crane, hoist it 60 feet in the air. The girl's running in the wheel. She's picked, side-picked both sides of her wow, harness so no she can't way. fall out of it. So she's <clears> running, <throat> and there's eight pyro boards around it all shot wirelessly. So she's the center wheel, human-powered pyro finale. And then there'd be other pyro added to that. So that was that was our spectacle show. That was our first spectacle show that we put together. Fucking and, right. And you got paid to, paid for this? Yeah, you get paid big big money. It would cost a fortune. I mean, to do these kind of shows, because usually you'd do, there'd be one show, or maybe maybe you do two nights in a row. So you'd have to you'd have to basically cast it. Like we'd have twenty five people in this show. When was this? <clears throat> when would this uh, be? The <laughs> Sorry, early two th early two thousands, two thousand and four. I think really? when we first okay. did Tricycle. We moved to Toronto in two thousand and two. We kind of got our foot in the door with the city. It was our first big contact city of Toronto. Um, and there was one lady there in particular who was really into this kind of stuff. And she took us under her wing and, and gave us the resources to kind of build our own show and, and help. She kind of helped facilitate what we were trying to do. She helped, she got us to work with the European groups when they came over so we could learn from them. Uh, and then we were, we started building our own and we had the opportunity to build our own show between that and just for laughs. We, so we did Toronto and we did, just for laughs. Oh, and we did a show out in oh, Prince Edward Island with it as well. Tom, just turn your mic just a smidgen towards your mouth. Okay. There you go. Um, uh, do you find that shows like Canada's Got Talent and some of these shows, do you, do you find that they bring uh, these big spectacles on for everyone to see and then they become less of a spectacle? Yeah. Because I, now we're used to seeing all this stuff. It would have yeah. been, been cool to see you rolling through town on a big trike. Totally. And now, you know. I don't think it's the, the shows like Canada's Got Talent that have, have done that. I mean, they partially have. We used to get asked to go on those shows all the time. Maybe not Canada, yeah, but America's yeah. Got Talent. No, <laughs> we'd um, we used to go on those shows. We've, we've done those shows a few times. I mean, everyone who's in that world does those shows because it's a way to pub publicize yourself. Sure, sure, of course. But it's also a way to, you don't get paid to do it. Or usually there's like a, mm -hmm. a stipend. There's like a small amount, but yeah. it's, it's not your normal fee to do it. But the idea is you're going to publicize yourself. But then the show itself is taking your talent and broadcasting it all over the world. And mm -hmm. basically, you've in some ways given your, given your heart and soul and the thing you've worked for away. Sure, if you're in a position where you can uh, make something of that, or maybe you've got five or six or ten other things that you do, 
if you're someone who does one thing, like say you're just just juggling chainsaws, I did other things, but if you're that's your one thing that you do, you've just given it away. Right. On those shows, or a lot of times those shows are sort of there. You got to do this, and then you get to the next round, and you got to do this. So by the time you get around to the top level to maybe winning it or not winning it, you've shown all your stuff. You've given all your stuff. And away. at the same time, you know, hmm. you see whether they're winning or not. You see some pretty amazing performances and uh, some really cool stuff. But you don't. There was a time when these shows didn't exist, and these these things were were more fascinating because we we didn't know it existed. Or and you'd stumble across it, and you'd see it in a live yeah environment. yeah. And that's exactly the problem. Like people used to come down to Nathan Phillips Square, they'd hear about there's going to be something exciting. It'd be publicized, right? You know, a hundred thousand people, eighty thousand people would come down. They would experience the show because having a 20-foot high tricycle barreling down on you, shooting fire with this crazy Certainly not something you see every day. It's not something you're going to see every day. You're going to remember it. It's going to be burned in your in your, in your brain. Psyche, your exactly. Brain. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be able to forget it if you wanted to. But that's... People... We've all gone into this world. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, everybody's in the cell phones. Yeah. Everybody's, everybody thinks that this is real and it's not real. And... Um, we've kind of given away the the high resolution version of the reality and we've all traded it for a little tiny window, ver- window of it. Yeah. Um, and people think they've seen everything. Everybody thinks they've seen everything because they've seen it here. And that's kind of why live, that's, that's why we don't do Circus Orange. Circus Orange was the name of our spectacle company. That's why we don't do Circus Orange anymore. We found that people... One didn't want to pay enough for the. It was like some of our shows were a hundred thousand dollars to do, you know, two, to mount it, to mount it, to wow. do it for two nights. It's like people are like, "What does it cost? Is it five grand? Is it, no, it's a hundred thousand dollars to do tricycle for two nights or whatever it is." But I mean, it was yeah, it wasn't yeah. A small amount of money. Um, and most of the shows we did were free. They were public outdoor events, so a city or a sponsor or something would have to sure. pay that money to bring that in. And then there's also support. You need the that's where the cranes came in. You need the crane, you need the staging, you need the sound, you need the lighting, um, all of this stuff. So, yeah, people, it seems like budgets went down. People didn't want to pay the money because they, they're like, well, what, I can see it all. Yeah, yeah. I've seen everything right here. In the do, you, my head. <clears throat> do you find that uh, liability, the insurance issue oh, became yeah. massive? Everything I've ever done, insurance has been. Yeah, but it's, it's becoming cost prohibitive now, and, yeah. and it's just foolish. No, I mean, I'm still, most people don't know this about me. I still actually have a pyro company. I still do pyro. We actually do every Raptors home game. We do the pyro for Toronto Raptors. Every, oh, wow. Did you bring anything today? To blow up? Yeah, there's, there's like a giant uh, concussion motor <laughs> right underneath here. I wired it up when you guys were out having coffee earlier. I so can't you, wait. So you do the Raptors games? <laughs> we do every Raptors game. I don't. I mean, I've got a Right, team but it's your company that does, that does. It. Yeah. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Wow, man, that's cool. Because once you get it figured out, like once you get the insurance, you get your supply chain, you get your equipment, you do your training. Sure. It's, and we, you get a good, good, a great client like the Toronto Raptors. You, you keep doing it. We do some other, other jobs too. Yeah, that's our incredible. sort of regular bread and butter stuff. Um, we used to do commercials, quite a bit of commercials. I never did union. I was never in the union for doing effects. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we do do a wide variety of stuff there but again most of that is outsourced to my team because since 2010 2011 the drones have just i i started circus orange and the live show thing was kind of starting to me and rebecca felt like we were just we were getting a little older felt like it was just too much work like we were 
it was super exciting. Like we were doing shows. We'd take 20 people to Mexico and we'd custom build a show for a, a city for a, a one-time event. And we'd take 20, figure out how to take 20 people down there, how to take pyro down there, how to take our equipment down there, how to, rehe to rehearse the show, to do the show. And it was awesome. But after a while, it just got to be too much work. It was like the amount of money we were getting for the sure. amount of energy. It was like the energy uh, money fun yeah. equation wasn't working out. Um, mm. We were still having lots of fun. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you know what it's like when you get older. You have a house, you know, you got a mortgage, you got a... When you're younger, we, we could work harder too. We used to be able to... We'd work on these shows. We'd work for from dawn until, you know, four o'clock in the morning putting these shows together. Rebecca and the girls would be sewing costumes. I'd be in the shop with the guys. We'd be welding stuff and building stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. And it was just a labor of love. <clears throat> and it was awesome. They A lot of them turned out great. Uh, some of them didn't turn out great, but, you know, they still... It was still an experience, but we mm. just got to the point where the it didn't feel like it was as worthwhile anymore. Right, right. And that was right around when the internet really took off social media. Yeah, and everybody in the world felt like they'd seen everything. Got people, a little discouraging, got, perhaps. Yeah, or? people got more jaded. I think. Mm. So, Interesting. Yeah. So then, but it was right around then that I just that drones really kind of started to come into the mainstream. DJI invented the Phantom. You probably remember the white. I have one. Yeah, the the Phantom One came out and yeah. it was like, oh my god, like drones are here. You know, it didn't even have a gimbal on it. You with just a, stick a GoPro, with a GoPro one or, on it, yeah. like hard, like bolted on there, and then. But again, because I was I was so obsessive with stuff, I got that, and then it was like the next one, and then I had another one, and then I started. I still had my film and TV contacts because during all that stunt show stuff, I I started hosting a little bit. Like I hosted a couple, I hosted a Discovery Channel special over in the UK. I did a with the stunt show stuff with Christine. We went to Burning Man and it was an hour long show on uh, TVO on no us. Way. And then with Rebecca and I, we did a show called Fire Jammers, which was on one of our other spectacle shows. It was literally the behind the scenes of us building it putting it together the month that took us to build it and then us doing it at the X actually in Toronto every night for two weeks or however long the X is. So we'd, I'd done a lot of TV stuff. So I had uh, had contacts there. So right away with the drone stuff, I already had a, a contact list of people to do stuff for us. So I started filming some of the stuff, like maybe I'd be asked by Discovery to, oh, we're going to do a blow up thing i can't remember what it was. we were doing some gas bomb explosion thing then i'm like oh i'm gonna get the guys to do that can i bring a drone and film it with the drone and then i'll sell you guys the footage from the drone so right away it was i was able to brilliant push my way into drone stuff a little quicker than maybe if you just started at the bottom and tried to work your way up because i i could leverage the other stuff i was doing we did the boots and hearts festival <clears throat> we did all the pyro for that i brought oh, it cool. i brought a drone and i was like hey you guys mind if i shoot it and I was trying to build up a demo reel how do, again it's like catch 22 of how do you get a demo reel if you don't you don't do something how do you get a demo reel how do you get experience but you don't have a demo reel so we're not going to give you experience are you doing boots and hearts next week next year no, though? no, no. i haven't done boots we were and just hearts wondering for a couple if, of years we were just wondering if you needed a couple of crew guys no. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i haven't done it since they moved up to burl's green yeah. yeah okay yeah we do the local local pyro for all the bands like like we were the local license so any band that had pyro on their rider we would do all their all their pyro oh that's great yeah so yeah it was it was kind of an easy transition to get into the 
to an easier transition to get into the drone stuff. As so what, what to, year? What, what year did the drone stuff start? Roughly? 2012. Okay. So 10, 11 years. And ago. now wait, before before this, were you flying? You're you're a pilot as well. No, drones led to. I oh, started okay. flying drones before I started flying airplanes. Oh, hilarious. Okay. It's like totally the backwards thing. Most yeah. people are like, oh, I flew an airplane, getting in the drones was easy. I was yeah. like, I started flying drones. And then Tom Comet here, okay, next, 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 next. Right, right, right. Okay. <laughs> Let's up. up and now you're it. flying airplanes. Now yeah. I own an airplane and we fly to the drone gigs. <laughs> That's a trip. Seriously. We just got back from Winnipeg. Have we, you ever shot yourself flying? Oh, yeah. Oh, we do it all. Well, I'm, I just, uh, anyway, there's lots there but i started a youtube i'm starting a youtube channel on flying called tom air tom air tv Copy it's that. not out yet tom. like we've got our we're working on our first two a- episodes AIR. yeah tom air tv there's an instagram tom air tv on instagram okay um so yeah we just got <clears> back <throat> from winnipeg we were on a show called psycho killer shooting in winnipeg a union shoot and we flew out a lot of times with the drone stuff some people know this, some people don't, but the LiPo lithium polymer batteries that we that we use in the drones, they're so so high capacity and they're they're relatively unstable. And if they get damaged in any way, they basically turn into bombs. These <coughs> things, this kind of drones, one of drones' dirty little secrets, like if you were to puncture that battery pack with a nail or a, a screw or something, or if it was damaged or if it short circuited, that thing catches fire and you cannot put it out. And it generates the most, especially with the bigger drones and the bigger batteries, it starts generating more toxic smoke and flames and fumes than anybody wants to be near. If you had one, oh, really? one in this room, the three of us would have to vacate this room immediately. That, that would be something that I think uh, should be uh, told to every drone owner. Yeah, I mean, the, the smaller machines that most people are flying now, yeah. they, they've made the battery packs almost invincible. They're small enough that they're relatively safe, but still, if you were to drive a screw, take a screw shooter and screw through a, a drone battery on almost any size drone, that thing's going to spontaneously burst into flame and start start. Don't, don't like anybody crazy. try this. Many drone guys have burned their houses down with charging drone batteries. No way. Yeah, and okay. in the and in the old days, all this stuff wasn't as good. I mean, the stuff we use now is is you know, on all levels, including the batteries, night and day, better than what it used to be. They've got the chargers down. The batteries are much better. They're more stable. They're more robust. But the <coughs> airlines have a policy. They've got a certain milliwatt hour size battery, and then after that, you cannot travel with them on a on a plane unless it's a dangerous goods flight. And then it's got to be, as you know, it's got to be packaged a certain way and it's got to go through certain channels. It can only go on planes with no passengers on it, that kind of thing. So traveling around with these batteries in film, inevitably the production manager calls you, you know, how much pre-notice do you get? Some Like for us, it's always like, oh, can you be out here in three days? And it's like, I can, but my batteries can't. So what do we do? And these batteries, it's not like batteries you can go to Canadian Tire and buy. These are very specialized batteries that are... Super high capacity, you know, 12S, 48 volt lithium polymer batteries. I was going to so, say that. So we loaded all. Yeah. In, so we loaded all in our airplane. My little, my Cessna 337 Skymaster. Fly ourselves out and do the gig. But so this is legal. The transportation of the. I can do it myself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I, hope, I hope I can. Okay. Some editing happening here. <laughs> <clears throat> No, I I can do it myself, but you can't take it on a commercial flight. Right. That's the difference in commercial and and uh, general aviation, like what I do. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So me and Matt flew out 
on the in, in my plane and then Eric actually flew out commercial because if we fly it with all our gear we've only really got room for two people and then our mountain yeah drone I mean gear. I've seen your trailers this is you've the gear that you guys take this set is insane it really is yeah yeah and that's what we and that's what when it gets hard to travel because like we're so used like here we have the 24 foot trailer we've got all our gear we've got the shop we've got spares you go somewhere to do it like and that's another reason why I don't like traveling flying commercial if we have to because you know what it's like you got to break all your stuff down into smaller bits you got to fit it in the 50 pound allotment for your check on i mean none of our stuff's 50 pounds um inevitably you're going to forget something or you're going to leave the backup this that or the other thing behind totally. because you haven't got the room and you get there and it's like uh this one doesn't work it got damaged it got left be it, you know it missed the flight whatever we don't have the backup we're in toronto whereas if we're working here summers where we can drive the truck and trailer to we've got everything like yeah, we've, yeah and if we don't have it we can fix it because we got the stuff to fix it i don't know if you've been in tom's latest trailer it's incredible. the new trailer's pretty good <clears throat> incredible yeah the old trailer was the old effects trailer and we'd use it on drone gigs it was kind of an effects trailer that we turned into a drone trailer yeah the new one is we it's purpose built for drone and it's and if you know anything about drone on set we're either we're always either first or last or often first and last, because we're always shooting around everything else. So once they set up the lights and all the other stuff, we're going to see that with the drone. So the, they, they usually get us on there when the set's clean at the beginning of the day before everybody's there or before things start to get busy. And then inevitably we'll be at the very last part of the day. So oftentimes we'll have eight, nine, ten hours off in the middle part of the day. Right. So in the old days, we'd you'd sit around in the truck, we'd, you know, you'd walk around, you'd eat too much food, you know, <laughs> yeah, totally. all that stuff. I was like, screw this. I wanted, I want my life back. So we built the trailer and the trailer's not just for the gear, it's for us. We've got a big table at the front. It's like kind of almost this big. We've got bunk beds, we've got a microwave, we've got a library of books, we've got stuff to do, you know? So we can go in there, we've got a TV, we can, use our time we can invest our time back in ourselves because inevitably i'm working on paperwork for the next gig because we're usually day players too it's like we're in for a day and i gotta do all the paperwork for that day you got your deal memos you gotta do all that stuff so it's like let's just do it we're here we're on the clock let's let's make this time make this time more yeah valuable. you spoke about the one you did uh with Kristen, um the honda spot you and it was four days for you which you thought was sort of unusual Four days on a commercial, four days on anything. she did like unusual. 12 days or something. Yeah. You know. If we get four, like we just had a Nissan job that was three days. It was supposed to be four, but then we didn't end up doing the night. Um, usually we're a day. Like drone is, Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a costly package. Because mm -hmm. like, we're, we're always a minimum, on a commercial shoot, we're always a minimum three-person team. Uh, and then the gear. So the gear is is highly specialized. It's, it's not cheap. It's always being, like I just... The new Inspire 3 just came out. Like we've been on the Inspire 2 for I was going to ask years. you about this. I've been, I've been through a dozen Inspire 2s. The Inspire 3 just came out. We've ordered one. We're going to see how it is. And then if it's good, we'll have to order a couple more. It's 25000 US for the package. You know, and we'll have to have a few of them. And that's and in a year when there's a, a writer, this writer strike going on, of course. Yeah. Um, so we're constantly updating the fleet. We bought another Alta X, our heavy Alta, our big heavy lift machine this year too. So we have two of those because we used to have the X, our really heavy lift machine, and then we had the eight if the X wasn't functional or as a backup. 
um, but it wasn't as high a capacity. Now we have two identical units of our heavy lift. We'll have two or three of the medium lift, and you got to have them all there ready to go. Sorry about the water bottle noise. It's all good. It's all right. Sounds like me doing sit-ups. Um, <clears throat> the um, so you your heavy lift. You're talking carrying cinema cameras. Yeah. So the heavy lift, the Alta X's are. Well, we call it the ultra, uh, what do I call it now, if I market it as? Ultra heavy lift, I think. So we got ultra heavy lift, heavy lift, medium lift, which is the Inspires, and then small small stuff. And now FPV, too, which is a whole other yeah. bag of nuts, as you guys know, because that's usually what we're working on with you. But the Alta X, the heavy lift machine, yeah, it'll fly a 35-pound payload. So pretty much any camera and lens package that they want to throw at us. Because in the old days, like, we'd have, you know, a big... Uh, octo octocopter eight bladed machine, you know, and be like, well, that's a giant drone. And then the the DP and the would come out with the camera. It's like, okay, no problem. Then they come out with the lens, and it'd be like, oh god, here we go. The lens, it's too big. We got a Tom. We can't do it. Yeah. And the last thing you mm -hmm. want to do is tell Absolutely. anybody in film that you can't do anything. Totally. That's your last day <clears throat> on that job. So you got to figure out a way to do it. So when Freefly came out with the Alta X and it can carry thirty five pounds, now all of a sudden. We don't have to say no. Like, now, yeah, do you build this rig no. yourself? No. no. We used to. I used to build all my machines um, up until the Alta 8. We built everything before that because there really wasn't stuff off the shelf that was good, reliable, specialized enough to <clears throat> to really do what we needed it to do. Since then, it's I think drones have become not mainstream enough, but in demand enough in film and TV that there's there's definitely an industry building these things. There are still people who, who build their own, and that's that's great. We know how to do it. There's there's value in knowing what goes into your machine and how it works, how it thinks, because mm -hmm. you're basically building a system out of a whole bunch of really specialized components, and they all need to work together. You can learn a lot building machines, and I think everybody who flies heavy lift, heavy lift drones should at some point have built one. Um, the way the industry is now, there's there's not any value in that, I don't think. And a lot of shows, they won't let you fly home-built or like Franken-Drone, they'll call right, it. Right, Franken-Drone. Yeah. <clears throat> so if, if the Aspire, Inspire 3 is 25 grand, mm -hmm. what's one of these huge heavy lift deals worth? Uh, the drone is, well, I mean, it's not just the drone, that's the thing. It's the, the drone, it's the batteries, like the batteries are 800 bucks each, it takes two, per flight and you've got to have 20 of yeah. those you got to have charged like four chargers to charge the batteries you got to have the controllers you got to have the video downlink so every the director and the dp and everybody can see what what you're shooting and how great it is um you've got to have a whole backup unit standing by i mean right. by the time you get into a heavy lift package you're probably looking at 50 60 grand yeah. anyway and then with it once you add another a second one more than that yeah i wasn't going to get one or anything yeah. i'm just just curious <laughs> <clears throat> I, might, know, I might have one for sale if it's right or straight oh is that <laughs> true well, you might have some inspire twos i have some well we'll keep the inspire twos as backups okay like we'll have the inspire three and then the inspire two will be the the because it's it's still a great machine it's not as good in low light it's not as good at night really the inspire three doesn't yeah, I mean, we don't know yet because we haven't actually seen it and used it. We only know what we're, the propaganda that we're told and the advertising from China. But it looks amazing. It does do some different stuff. But at the end of the day, it's the image quality coming out of the Inspire 2 is, has been more than enough for, for even big shows, even, even 
what know, do you notice with each upgrade of, mm. of drone? What, what, what is the, the technology that you notice the most? Mm. More, <clears throat> more, well, when the Inspire came along, that was, that was, I mean, you're familiar with that one. That's the one that Sure. With the legs that go up. Yeah, yeah. It's got the built-in. They, they it's a beautiful little drone. It's a yeah, beautiful it's little drone. It's plug and play. It comes out of one box. That was the big thing. We went from having 10 flight cases or six flight oh, cases yeah. to putting it all together to having to be there an hour before <clears throat> to showing up on set, opening up the case, pulling it out, putting the battery on, putting the camera on and going, and it's ready to go. You know, so if we're doing like a car commercial, Amazing. like we're often with you guys, we can set up and be ready to go in, in so little time. You know, it's like, well, we need you guys on the corner over there. We run down the road, we get on the corner, we're ready to go, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to, Stellar. yeah, you know, an hour pre-call for the minimum hour pre-call for the drone team to get everything built up. And that's once the gear is at my trailer, the trailer's parked, we're at the trailer, <clears throat> we have everything and we're ready to go. Okay, so I see. That's, that's one of the big differences. The other difference, you know, it's always image quality, but the image quality... Even since the Inspire 2, it shoots 6K Cinema DNG RAW. That's been plenty for people for a yeah. long time. Yeah. Um, what you don't have with those little, with the drones with the integrated camera, like the Inspires, you don't have the ability for a DP or a director to put their own flavor on the imagery that's coming out. They can't put an anamorphic lens. They can't put that certain brand of prime lens that they want to put on there that right. does the hmm. the lens flares in a certain way that they've used on the other camera in the movie. We don't have the ability with the, the Inspires to do that. And that's when they're like, oh, got to fly a heavy lift machine. And that's great. Still most of, I'd say in the last couple of years, more than 50% of our work is still heavy lift. Okay. Which is, I actually like better sometimes. I like it. <laughs> I like it better because it's more challenging. It's, I mean, it, and especially since they invented the Alta X, um, it's that machine just works. It flies for a long period of time. In the old days with the heavier machines, we'd launch them, get lined up for the shot. You know, it takes a couple minutes to do that. And then, and then you're looking at your battery and it's like, and you got to tell them, it's like, oh, I got to land, I got to change batteries. Because those little, the, the smaller ones are always, when they take off, they take off like so stable and so yeah. beautifully. Yeah. And those big, beasts are always like trying to like you know rebalance or something it's physics i mean they're they're pushing more air and it's when you learn to fly you learn about learn about ground effect so especially when you're close to the ground that machine is just pushing a huge amount of air at the ground it's bouncing up off the ground and then it's distorting the airflow around sure. that thing so it's actually its own its own enemy when it's close to the ground so usually with the big machines once i see that it's spooled up properly lift off and I don't know if you've noticed, a lot of times I'm just, I'm out of here because the yeah. ground is my enemy. That's where people uh, are. Right. The cushion. Yeah, yeah, you know, right. That's, that's where people are. That's where there's things to bump into. That's where the, the ground <laughs> is the closest. The, as soon as I'm above the tree line and, and away, huh. and I'm away from that ground effect, dirty air, it's it's happy days. It's just a lot easier. Yeah. And okay. the Inspire, it's, it's, it weighs seven pounds, eight pounds. So it's pushing very little, very little air. That's one of the things that makes it good, though, too. Like, it's more, like, if you need to do, you could almost fly it in this room. I mean, you could fly it in this room yeah. if you were crazy. I've actually flown my drone in this room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's the right tool for the right job, you know. So it depends depends what you're trying to do. Um, we do like, I do like the heavy lift because it's just, it's, the, it's like the old, it, there's the spectacle of it. Right. And people tend to respect it a lot more. Yeah. You show up with the Inspire and it's like, and then you get people just walking by yeah, on I see set that. and it's like, 
it's still the spinning knife blades. But you know what? You know what it is? Is that everybody owns one? Yeah. Everybody has the small, the ones. little tiny ones. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what are they? What are they called? The Mavics. Yeah. Like it's crazy. So everybody has one. So they're comfortable with the size. But you get that big bugger in there with a full-size cinema camera under there with a lens. Yeah. But one or two takes in, people are back to being blasé and walking by. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah. I mean, I've had people <clears throat> almost walk into it before. I mean, we safety is, is number one for us, and we're really serious about it. But you've got to be so on it. You can't let your guard down at all, especially on like, like we were in Winnipeg. We were doing nights um, at night, black drone dark on the asphalt ready to launch i mean you got to put pylons all around it you got to put lights around it and even then i tell my guys it's like just if the drone's not on the cart someone's got to be standing you basically have to stand over it almost to just keep people away from it it's almost like it's got a magnet in it well at some point mm -hmm. it wasn't very i mean it was it was well we have a drone guy yeah there's a drone you know and now it's like where's the drone guy yeah, and people you know, are super blasé about it. And yeah, it's, it's kind of getting to that. that. Whatever, yeah. Okay, can we talk about first person? First person view? Yeah. So, oh, my God. So, yeah, our world turned upside down. Um, it didn't, it, hap it happened quite a while ago. I mean, first person view, FPV, yeah. means first person view. So that's when you fly the, there's two different ways of flying a drone. Conventional drone, like we've been doing, I've been doing since 2010, where you have a controller, you look at the drone, you're flying it, you're seeing it in the air, you're putting stick inputs to make it fly around, but you're seeing what the drone, you're, you're watching the drone to make it, make it fly. Line of sight, we call it LOS. FPV, first person view, that's all gone. You put the goggles on, you see what the, the pilot sees, what the drone sees, and that's how you fly it. It came from drone racing. So drone racing's been around for quite a while. Then some drone racers were like, wow, this is so cool. Uh, we can start doing this in film. And it kind of went back to drones roots where when we first had the phantoms, we took a GoPro and we just stuck the GoPro on the phantom because we didn't have gimbals. We didn't have stabilization systems. So as the drone flew around in the old days, the camera would pitch around and then DJI invented gimbals and made then drone shots became these super stable cinematic shots. And that's what we were doing for a long time. Then FPV came along <clears throat> and people, people always want something new. So, F, with, with FPV, you're flying with the goggles, but the camera is also hard-mounted to the drone. So it started with just little 5-inch drones, 5-inch uh. props, and a GoPro, because that's what that's what drone racing was. And they didn't even have Which GoPros Which is so on. sick, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. So cool. It's totally yeah. amazing. Um, but then because it's film, film didn't really accept it because a GoPro, poo-poo, you can't get good shots out of a GoPro. Although... GoPros come a long way. We've got the GoPro 11 yeah, now. Yeah, it's GoPros on a lot of things now. They've done yeah. a lot of things, but it's still not a cinema camera. It's still not something they can put their own lenses on it. It still doesn't shoot raw. It still doesn't shoot. It doesn't have a very high bit rate. It's not a, a great camera for film because they need to grade it with, you know, their mm -hmm. Aria Alexa 35 or something. And the GoPro is just going to look like shit compared sure. to that in the, when they're doing the edit. Um, so we started making FPV drones bigger. You know, and then the Red Komodo came out. So Red came up with a, a smaller version of the Red Red camera, the Komodo. And we have the ability to put that on an FPV drone. So at first it was hard mounted. So again, when you're flying, you're flying more like a bird. Like when you roll or pitch, you're, the camera is rolling and pitching. It's not staying stable. So it has this dynamic flight. And people who were doing car commercials mm -hmm. loved it because it was like, 
we can we can fly through the trees and we can get right in there on the make it look like action three quarter of the car three quarter panel of the car and make it look like we're flying <clears throat> we are actually flying right next to the car that lexus spot you guys yeah. did with andrew that the lexus trees. spot was that was one of the very first ones we did incredible that was yeah. so sweet incredible yeah. stuff and that was gopro <clears throat> that, was, okay. that was actually GoPro. We looked we, great. Yeah, it looked. They they managed to make that fit. I mean, if you got someone who's really good at post, they can make they can make any footage work with anything else. Especially if there's light. Like there was a lot of light that day. Most car commercials, for the most part, we're not shooting them at night. Some we True are. True enough. Yeah. <clears throat> that Subaru one. You did Sub? Did you do Subaru? I do a lot of Subaru. I yeah. imagine. Okay. I imagine. Um, yeah. So it's if you've got a lot of light, a GoPro works great. But we we were just starting to get into the Komodo side of things at that when we did that Lexus spot together and it's it's totally changed the whole game. So now we've we're hard mounting those to there. We can put different lenses on. And then just last year it came along that uh DJI came out with a new smaller gimbal, the Ronin RS two at that time. Now it's the RS three. Um so a tiny little gimbal that's that's small enough to fly but light enough to hold the the Komodo. So now we've got gimbaled fpv we call it so we've got all the all this good stuff from a heavy lift drone but the ability to fly 150 kilometers an hour if we need to the ability to be five feet off the your back bumper of the car as you're speeding down the street with the pilot right there can see everything that's happening and just be super tight and then you know fly up over the bridge or down the side of the i think we did a converging one on that lex was it lexus we did a one where we literally started at the top of a building, flew right down the side of the building, and then converged with the hero car down on Lakeshore. Yeah, that was, what was that? I think that was actually Hyundai. Yeah, I think that was something. Hyundai. Yeah. 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 yeah, that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got the ability to do these shots no one has ever dreamed of before. So that's hard mount. Now that we're doing the gimbal, we can do all that, but we can keep the horizon safe. The pilot can fly facing forward. And the drone, the camera can be looking sideways. We can so you have a separate do, operator. Except dual operator again. <clears throat> yeah. And it's almost like, not that we're, we're trying to do it, and it's, we, we will never be a Russian arm, but we can do Russian arm style shots. So we can get right in there, stabilized, right in on the wheel. Like some of the detail stuff that mm -hmm. they want. We're Again, we're never going to get the Russian arm. There will always be Russian arm on, on well, the sorry, Ukraine. Ukraine. Sorry. That's all good. Multiple. <laughs> Uh, Ukraine shots on car commercials because they're just so stable, so rock solid. A drone yeah. will never be that. I can't hold on a on a, a rim of a tire, spinning tire at fifty kilometers, eighty kilometers an hour for the the, the thirty seconds that they need to find their perfect two seconds. Well, exactly. I was going to ask sure. when when drones are going to become the only camera. No, but that's just not it. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I mean. Thankfully, I mean, we're, we're just a part of the picture. I mean, there have been drone-only shoots, for sure. People have done it just as an experiment or more of just a publicity Sure, stunt. but it's not practical. No, it's not. I mean, it's still, you know, spinning knife blades. <laughs> that, that, yeah. video, that video that you did where you flew into your house, yeah. past your wife, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah actually, it did, can, <laughs> is, can anybody see that? Yeah. yeah is can, it on YouTube or it's anything? It's on Vimeo. It's on our Facebook I could send you a link to it. Yeah, yeah, okay, please, please yeah. do. Because it's it it's really good. It's really good, and it give anyone at home uh, listening uh, yeah, an idea of what yeah. you do. <laughs> yeah, which is beautiful, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. So, and that's one of the big things that changed with FPV for me. Like, I flew FPV. I started to get into it just pre-COVID, 
And then during COVID, it was great. It gave me something to do. I mean, we were working, but for those first three months, we weren't. But we just, I would fly FPV. It was almost like going back to juggling again. We flew, flew FPV every day and I got really good at it, but I'm not good enough at it to do what we need to do in film and TV. So now I, I've met uh, this guy, Eric Bell, who worked, he's our main FPV pilot. He's an ex-drone racer. So he's got, he's been doing it for five or six years, you know, which is a long time in the FPV world, pretty much wow. since it's been invented. And he's you know, that much better at it. And so he's our main FPV drone guy. He's the so, fellow that chased me down the yeah. the gardener underneath. Yeah. Yeah. Lakeshore underneath the gardener. The, that Ford, Ford Escape yeah. one. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. He's, this, he come he come up flying beside me and I'm zipping down Lakeshore like crazy. And I hear this massive mosquito coming up on my right side, passenger yeah. side. And this, this drone passes me, turns and looks at me, but he's still flying that way. Yeah. And then... Right up, right above my hood, and and then through the pillars of the gardener, and coming around, this kid is good, man. He's, he's really good, and for me, it's been hard because huh. I've had to take a step back. I mean, I'm the I call my, I call myself the aerial drone aerial coordinator now, and there's a lot going on, especially with FPV. You see how fast how fast these things move, how much you need to organize. Like it's it, it, with the conventional heavy lift drones, it's like brrr, goes up, it flies around, it's relatively straightforward we know where it's going to be that fpv can be everywhere anytime so quickly you just it, you just need to lock it down like it's there's so much more going on with that thing Especially, yeah, yeah and okay. the power to weight ratio of those things it's like a, a super bike versus a, a you know a, a harley or yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly what, what did you use to get the aerial shots on women talking uh women talking was heavy was heavy lift heavy lift yeah yeah um, we rarely use FPV in, in big shows, although we just got back from Winnipeg where they needed us. FPV was the only thing that gimbaled FPV was the only thing that was going to work for one of the two shots we did for them. But we ended up doing both shots with, with gimbaled FPV for them because it needed to be needed. To, it was at night. So we needed to fly a real camera, like a red Komodo was sort of the minimum spec. We needed real lenses and we needed to be able to, to move the camera around independently from the drone for the, the shot. I don't think I should go into the details of the shot because it's a show and stuff. Yeah, sure. No, but a... the only way we, it was a stunt. It was, there was <clears throat> a truck that ended up flipping over and blowing up and, and uh, there was stunt performers like very intimate to the, to the camera. And it was, it was pretty awesome. It was awesome to see it all come together. And it's nice. And it's, it is nice. Like at first it was hard to not be the guy who's actually doing it. But Eric and I have worked together now for well, three or four years now. And we just have a trust. Like he's part of that. He's the FPV team. He's the, he's the pilot. And I'm the guy who's outside of the goggles. Cause mm -hmm. he's literally, I mean, you've seen the way it works. He's mm -hmm. sitting there in a chair and he's kind of yeah, like, he's like covered, he's covered over and he's just, he's like, don't talk to me. Like I'm the only one who talks to him usually unless we're out and we're finished and we're talking about the take or what we're going to do different next time. When he's actually doing his thing, we can't distract him too much. And he's just in the, he is the drone. And it's, I've never done it. It yeah, would be a impressive. trip to try. Oh yeah. Try. It would be so cool. Yeah. If you guys come over, I'll take you flying. Cause we can put goggles on you and you can be, right there like you can fly with me okay so Gotta speaking that. of that speaking of that as as a driver mm -hmm. of the automobile while you're shooting me mm -hmm. you're broadcasting images to monitors that you can see that he can see that producers can see or the director why can't i have a monitor in my car 
Because you got to focus on the road, man. Oh, screw that. <laughs> you could. <laughs> you, defi- you definitely could. Definitely you know what? Could. But we have two monitors. <clears throat> like just on the FPV drone, there's two feeds. So there's a little tiny camera, and that's the camera that Eric or the FPV pilot sees out of. And then there's the hero camera, and that's the red Komodo or, or whatever it is that we're flying that's our hero camera. And that's a separate feed. So we're actually sending two feeds from the drone. In the old days, we could only send uh, the FPV feed. We didn't have the ability to send oh. two. But when it was hard-mounted, the FPV feed and the other feed were similar. It's just the FPV <clears throat> feed was really wide like a GoPro, and the other one would be whatever the lens was that was on there. But DPs and directors hated it. They want to see what their actual shot is, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When we first started, we had to pull the card out. We had to load it on sure. a computer. Here's what it looked like. I and remember. Like, oh, that's not <laughs> yeah. Or let's do it. That looks great. Or let's do it again. And then, But now we can... It's more of a weight thing. Like we have the weight and the technology. Like we've got systems that work symbiotically together. We weren't able to uh, risk Eric's FPV feed with another feed that was right next to it that was maybe more powerful. Like the power, the feeds that we get from uh, the Hero cameras, they're very powerful, very robust feeds. The feed that comes from Eric's little camera, it's sort of consumer-grade stuff that we've hot-rodded to work with this stuff. This stuff is still just built to be drone racing stuff, almost like in the toy world. I mean, it's it's stepped up a long ways from there, but it's still not production-grade stuff. Right. Um, so, well, I just lost one of my ears. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that happened last time, too. It'll oh. be back. Yeah. Um, so the danger is if the hero camera feed wipes out Eric's feed, his world goes black. And these and these drones, the FPV drones, they fly differently than the than a DJI drone or a heavy lift drone. Those machines, you take your hands off the sticks, it just hovers. It's using GPS, it's using satellites, it's using its compass, it's using a barometer, it's using all this instrumentation to keep it level. And then you're just overpowering that with your control inputs to fly it around. FPV, it's more like a helicopter, flying a helicopter. You're directly attached to to the flight controls. There's no oh, au- there's I no see. automation. There's no autopilot. There's no self-leveling. You okay. push forward, you go forward, you let go. It's going to keep going forward. It's just going to go forward until it lands on the ground. So if his feed goes black, that's it. Like all bets are off. He's just got to hit the kill switch. <laughs> comes down and lands Whoa. like a rock and rolls up into a little ball and go to the trailer and get another one. <laughs> wow. Wow. Man. So it's a very different... It's direct inputs. There's no automation. And a lot of people don't get that about FPV. It's like, why can't you? A lot of times we get there with, they've hired us to do FPV. They want this shot, chasing the horse, doing the chasing the car, whatever. And then they're like, okay, we want you guys to go up and just hover now and look straight down and hold that shot. Because that's what people have been using drones for for years in film now. And I'm like, an FPV, if we look down, we go down. Like we go in the direction that the that the camera's pointed. So it can actually fly straight down. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've so about the headphones. Not, it's kind yeah, of weird. It's okay. It doesn't affect us. Yeah. Playing no. with my cord like it's just one of us. Yeah. yeah. So it's a new it's a new world, and a lot of people like we're. There's some directors and DPs and and the creative people, they totally get it. They're like, we want FPV, we want to do this. Some of them, a lot of them don't even know it exists. It's sort of like when drone first started. Now almost everybody's worked with a conventional drone. They get it. They know what's possible. They know what's not possible. They know how much time it's going to take. 
FPV, we're having to re-educate everybody as to what's what's possible and what's not. And a lot of time they don't even know it exists, so it's they don't necessarily use it. So we're not using it in features. We're not using it in in episodic stuff much, unless you get with someone who's creative and they've got a specific idea in mind. Or for action stuff, like certainly out in Vancouver, there's a lot more of this stuff going on because they're shooting that style of of film a lot mm, more out right. there. Whereas here we're doing dramatic stuff, there's less room for it. Interesting. Now the tech, the tech that you used on, uh, like you, you know, you say, well, that was back then and whatever. But I mean, Lexus was not long ago. Yeah, it's forever ago in our world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, like how- that machine was this big. It had a GoPro on it. It was it was probably my fourth or fifth job with Eric. Um, okay. And yeah, it's it's since gone through at least three iterations since then in the FPV world. Like we've reinvented that three times. So where's did. the drone going now? Like, do you see the future? What's uh? Where is drone uh, headed? I mean, is it going to become bigger? Are we going to be flying around people? I don't things? think bigger. There... I think I think I want one. Yeah, yeah. I think smaller or, or sort of. I think this Inspire Three is a good example of of, a, of where the technology is going. Again, we won't know until we get our hands on it. But from what we see in the advertising and what they what they say about it, it's got uh, it's got a ground station. So with drones, like I said before it's using all these sensors to keep it stable in the air. It's using GPS satellites, compass, so it knows which ways forward, a barometer, so it knows how high up it is, uh, IMU, inertia monitoring unit inside, so it knows which way it's being pushed around by the wind. Those are sort of the old school sensors in a conventional drone to keep it stable. That's why when drones first came, when the Phantom back in 2012 came on the market, that's why almost any idiot who bought one could almost fly it right out of the box. Like it, sort of flew itself before then drones you had to one make it yourself you had to solder it all together and make it work and you know, okay and etc etc and then it didn't have enough sensors and automation to make it easy enough to fly um now they've upped that even more so with the new stuff you, you've got a base station you stick a tripod down you put this an rtk gps on it it sits there for 15 minutes it triangulates perfectly with the gps satellites in the sky and then it sends that feed to the drone. So the drone is flying around with its own GPS, but then it's getting imp- knowledge and information from its base station. So it knows even more precisely, literally to centimeter accurate precision where it is. So now you can do with this, this new stuff, you can do waypoint missions. So you can either fly a mission and record it. So you could fly it with, so you have a, a set with buildings and stuff and a street and the horses and buggies take all that stuff out of the set and just have the set there fly it and then try it repeat it press play it'll fly that that waypoint flight path again perfectly while you're flying it you can point the camera any which way you want you can fly it at different speeds if you want or you can tweak it you can go on screen and you can actually pull this waypoint a little bit further over this way then we start putting the actors in and you can fly it again. So it's almost like a 3D cable cam, if you've ever worked with 3D cable cam technology. Yeah, but it's now a computer. So it is a computer, <clears throat> absolutely. So you can replicate the shot. Replicate the shot over and over and then tweak it with speed and then tweak it with camera angles. 
but we haven't seen it. We haven't wow. played. We haven't, and it's and in and then added to all that is all its obstacle avoidance. So it's got all these cameras built into the sides of the drone that aren't there to shoot your movie. They're there to look for stuff that it's going to potentially bump into, from actors to a power line to a building to whatever, and then either take evasive action based on what you've told it to do get within three feet of anything get don't get closer than six feet from anything you can set how close you want it to get to potential threats whether that's a person that's an actor that's not on their mark or a building or somebody put a piece of set in that wasn't there from the last take and it will not bump into those things and it's doing all of that right then like it's so much computing power that's flying in this drone and it's all purpose built just to do that and so we're all worried about artificial intelligence stealing our jobs are you worried at all uh yes and no i mean yeah i mean i i think this whole ai thing is gonna take over everything yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah we we've yeah. had we've talked about this like people are just gonna say make me a movie with something like vin diesel and some cars and and you know but reminiscent of the the james bond moonraker and you know, with a girl that looks like this, and and then blow everything up at the end, a little bit like Die Hard, do it, and then there will be that movie. I mean, if, if you look at the way this stuff is happening, if you look at how fast this stuff is evolving, yeah, it's terrifying. It is. Now, having said that, eventually, um, similar to um, our excitement for um, giant trike shows. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and your, and your excitement, uh, sort of dwindling and needing to move on. Um, I feel like we're going to do that with movies and TV. I mean, if some, if not, if, if a crew of real people aren't the ones doing it, why do we give a shit? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you guys live in the practical stunt and special effects world stunt mostly, mm -hmm. but you know what it's, you know what it was like certainly a few years ago or five or ten years ago when you would see a practical of uh, uh, not a practical effect a VFX effect but it wasn't of a stunt or of a blow up or whatever it was and it's not done well enough the technology wasn't good enough and you you weren't emotionally attached to that that scene at least for me being someone who was in that world I could mm. always see what and I couldn't even put my, my finger on it exactly, but you could always see when something wasn't quite right, that explode, especially with explosions. Like they never got explosions yeah. right. In or the fire. Just never. Or flares. Fire. Absolutely. Yeah. And you you see that and you become detached and you just, you just don't give a shit about it. And we're at that point now, I think with this stuff where it's not good enough yet, but now with the, certainly with VFX, VFX, you see some of it and it's, getting pretty flawless i mean it's it's beautiful it really is and the best stuff is stuff that's based on real they take real and then they clone it or they make it bigger or they you know yeah they enhance scale, something they enhance it but it's it's still based on real so i think it's still going to be certainly in the near future it's going to be based on real um lucky for us with the drone perspective it's a unique perspective it's not something that uh, there's not a huge library of this stuff there's not uh, it hasn't been seen enough to be able to be replicated accurately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so... There's not enough data. And the thing, it's, it's the thing that got me into drone in the first place. It was that eye in the sky perspective, that godlike, omniscient perspective, being able to be anywhere in 3D space and look at stuff. And FPV even just built on that. So now we have the ability to just be there in 3D space and fly. I don't think computer AI technology is going to be able to capture that immediately. 
So I've probably got a few good years left. Interesting. A few. <laughs> a few. <laughs> Speaking of... Um, I don't know. Uh, it, do you feel that drones are overused? Yeah. No, I do. I mean, I find... Uh, I often joke with Rebecca, we're watching something, and I'll be like, I'll be like, wow, I really like that show. There was no drone shots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I find That's a fine. lot of the times the drone, I mean, because I'm in it, it'd be like with stunts with you guys. It, it takes you out. You're looking at the technical, like as soon as a drone shot comes up, I'm not looking at the shot. I'm looking at the edges of the screen 100%. to see how stable they are. <laughs> it, you know, is, awesome. is their horizon off a little bit? Oh, they're a little bit left to center on the road and it's supposed to be a perfectly, you know, symmetrical yeah. shot following the car on the road or whatever it is. <laughs> I like it when it's it's either got to be part of this part of the story right from the start. Like if they just sort of bolt on a couple of drone shots, like oh we got an extra budget and it's we got three days of shooting left. Let's bring out the drone. You right. know, that doesn't work. It it takes me out of it, and I think it takes audiences out of it. Yeah, just because you have a tool doesn't mean you should you use, use it. Yeah, yeah. If it's part of the language of the film right from the start, then it absolutely belongs there and and then like michael bay with that ambulance i don't know if you've seen ambulance no no it's so it's one of the first it's the first feature film that's really embraced fpv drone technology and they use fpv in that in a completely original way well they use fpv in kind of the the fun way that we do in it the in car, car commercials, commercials. Sort of, yeah i'm seeing what you're feeling what you're saying but they use it as a as a uh, it's a way of changing the pace of the film. Every time the movie kind of, you know what Michael Bay is like, it's like he mm -hmm. ramps it up and then he ramps it up and then he ramps it up. Sure. Every time he goes up a notch, he does this epic FPV shot. And usually it's like like the drone flying through the sky and then diving down the side of a building or doing something super, super dramatic FPV. And he uses it as a as a tool in his emotional toolkit in the film to change the way he's telling the story. And I've never seen anybody do that, certainly with drone in any way, shape, or form since before or since that, that film's come out. So it's worth seeing. Yeah, I'll just watch for that. that. And it's worth seeing for lots of levels. It's, it almost mm -hmm. seems like kind of a cheesy movie and when you see the, the trailer, but from a drone perspective, it's amazing. And it's, it's a, unique, a uniquely told story. Interesting. Okay. And hopefully it means everybody's going to want FPV in uh, feature films for the next little while. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can see we'll it see. In, in an exciting ambulance movie. Yeah. You know, that makes it a lot of sense. doesn't fit everywhere. Yeah. No. Titanic, no, not eh, so much. Or... You know, the boat's not quite fast enough. Yeah. Or, yeah. I don't know. Can I hear it? <laughs> it sinks in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's your, uh, what's your uh, Instagram handle? Uh, well, Drone Boy Cinema is the company's handle. So at Drone Boy Cinema. Um, TomAir.tv is my YouTube channel. It'll be up soon for the, but that's more for flying adventures. Although I'm going to start doing some BTS of drone stuff in there too. Um, and then I'm just Tom Comet underscore, but that's just my life. Like if you look at my feed, there's some robins that are being fed worms in the nest outside my house. Yeah, no, that's exciting stuff. <laughs> you shoot that with an so, FPV drone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's my, uh, that's my and then we're droneboy.com. That's online. cool. I just wanted so, to. We're still old school. I have a website, if you believe it or not. I'm not. I'm not old. Wow, what's your website? website. <laughs> droneboy.com. Droneboy.com. I don't think people fun. have websites anymore. It's all yeah, social. Yeah, we've we've been talking about websites and yeah, the um um. So what? Okay, so you got involved with with uh, the drones, mm -hmm. and you thought that was so much fun flying drones. 
that you decided to fly yourself? It wasn't because it was so much fun, actually. Well, like when I got into drones, it was a very different environment. It was uh, like drones came on the scene, the transport, like the aviation authorities, like in the States, it's the FAA up here in Canada, it's Transport Canada. They sort of got blindsided by this thing. It was like all of a sudden something was invading their airspace. Up yeah. until then, you know, humans lived down on the surface of the planet and it was only like these godlike people who were pilots <laughs> who would get to fly airplanes high above and, you know, it took tons of training and, and accreditation and licensing and insurance to do that. And then all of a sudden, brrr, this little drone started invading their their world and it was like, what the fuck are we going to do with this? So they, they sort of... Uh, for a while, there, it was it was cowboy country. You could do whatever you wanted. When I first started, you could just go to the middle of downtown Toronto and launch a drone and do what you wanted. And then they kind of went crazy with regulations and just clamped down like crazy. And it was kind of good because I was already in it enough. And I'd, and I'd worked in pyro for a long time. And pyro, as you know, is all about licensing and insurance mm -hmm. and getting the right permit and dealing with the right authorities and, and getting all the sign off to do that stuff. So I knew how to get through those, those hoops. Um, mm -hmm. So with dealing with Transport Canada, when they started over-regulating or, well, regulating drones off the top, it was like, okay, it's the same kind of thing. I need to put together a site plan. I need to have an operations manual for my company. We need to have the appropriate insurance. We need to have the appropriate training. So at that time, you had to actually do ground school, which was almost the same. And nobody knew how to teach ground school for drones. So these people that were training pilots to fly airplanes kind of took their airplane stuff and said, let's just call it drone stuff. <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> the exact same curriculum. So I was working my way through ground school training for drones. And I'm like, they keep talking about like the airfoil of a wing and uh, gasoline engines. And then, you know, this is like airplane stuff. And it was super intense. Like it took months to get through this stuff. It was like online wow. training. And it was like months and months of, of training to get your ground school accreditation that would enable you to get your SFOC, your Special Flight Operations Certificate from Transport Canada. You have to have something that proved that you knew what you were doing and you weren't going to kill anybody. So I was working my way through this and I'm like, well, this is, this is airplane stuff. And then in the States at that time, there was, there was sort of this rumor that very soon you were going to have to have a commercial pilot's license. I think for a brief time you did to fly drones commercially. You had to have a commercial pilot's license. So wow. I was like, ding, I always wanted to fly this is my half-assed chance to write off pilot training so i went for my fly i went for my first flying lesson did transferred my drone tra my drone ground school to real real world airplane ground school and worked my way through that but because i'm tom comet i just went boom, 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 kept going like right away i partnered with a guy we bought a 172 I got my night rating, started That's working awesome. on my instrument rating. Then I decided I was going to buy my own plane. But I, because I'm Tom Comet, I couldn't buy one with just one engine. I had to buy one with two engines. And then, yeah, anyway. It all makes sense to awesome, me. Awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> so now, now, six, seven years later, I'm flying. I got 750 hours and I'm... Now, because you are... Lot, but it's 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 not not a lot, but it's not, not a lot. It's like the but beginning. But because you're Tom Comet, do you have a... Do you have a, a runway outside your home? Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. <laughs> exactly. It's coming, man. That's, well, we, I mean, we're looking at real estate just for, for shits and giggles. And because you have an airplane, you can look a little different. Like if you're here in Toronto, you're like, okay, how far do I want to drive? Or in the GTA where we, we all live, do I want to drive two hours, four hours? What is it? With an airplane, all of a sudden, I can look at 
real estate in the Maritimes. I can look at real estate in, you know, Moosonee. I can look at real, like my range of where I can potentially, potentially have a second house or a, 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 a place out in the woods is a long, long way away. Mm-hmm. That's so, great. So cool, man. It's like superpower. And you can take your own batteries. And I can take batteries and drones <clears throat> and whatever else I want. I can take my cat. Whoa. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if the cat would like it that way. I love that. I love that YouTube video of the cat on the wing and the two people are oh. flying and then the cat is, yeah, <laughs> you know, and they spot the cat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's funny. So yeah, that's, that's where that started. And it's also been good for me because now like, again, it's, it's just a great reference on my resume to have you're a real pilot. Oh, All big of a time. sudden it's like, like I was talking to the head risk assessment guy at Warner brothers the other day and he's a, He's a United pilot, retired United pilot, because that's who they brought in, because you have this level of risk assessment working for an airline where, like a normal person, you wouldn't even think of this stuff. And right away when I told him I was a pilot, we just, like, we had a 45-minute interview, and all we talked about was planes. He was like, I just, yeah, I, I looked at your stuff, it's fine, you fly airplanes, don't, don't even worry about it. I mean, we talked about drones a little bit, but sure. he was more interested in, oh, so you fly the 337, what do you think of that? And, you know, it's a different different thing you think differently it's the same you're thinking in three dimensions and you're thinking about how you interact with the environment in airplanes it's it's just a bigger scale for sure but it's you're thinking about all the other stuff that can interact with you or mess up or mechanical failures that can happen with your machine and your emergency procedures how you're going to deal with that and then with drones in particular like your secure perimeters and you're dealing with folks on set to keep them away and you know know exactly what's going to happen or with a car commercial we figure out you've seen the way it is we get together we're like okay you're going to do this we're going to do that we're going to be here we're going to be there then we need to land and change batteries and you're going to turn around and there's you think a little differently after a while and it takes trust and i think a lot of these shows at least in the beginning um some of them got boned people would hire a drone team they'd be like oh my buddy flies drones whatever and they'd bring them out and you'd get these people that just didn't didn't understand film for one thing. Maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they knew about drones, but they didn't know how to layer it into a film set. Because yeah. that's the other thing. It's one thing to drive cars fast and well, but then if you got to layer that into a, a film set, like that's like that's the hard. It part. really is a different ballgame. Yeah, it's a different language. It's a different. It's like the military of this this whole like rank of pe- people you're dealing with and who you can talk to and how you talk to different people and different words for things and it's. It's awesome, but it definitely takes time to learn to navigate that. Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And the drone thing, I mean, everyone's interested. Yeah, everyone's interested, and that's great. But then there's all these people trying to, and you're trying to do something really, like sometimes what we're doing is really hard. If they just want an eye in the sky shot on a high wide or, you know, the, you know, flying off into the sunset thing, you, you can do that with your eyes closed. But some of the stuff we're getting into now with, FPV in particular and interacting with stunts and flying down the side of a building and then converging with a car, trying to get the timing right on that. Like it's hard stuff and layered into that your (coughs) machines are, you know, purpose built machines for this stuff. And then you've got the environment. Maybe it's raining a little bit. We can't fly the drone in the rain or there's too much wind or it's gusty or, (laughs) but we're only at the beginning of this technology. True. You know, I mean this, we're going to be able to fly through rain and, and we already can dive underwater and do some crazy things. Yeah, I mean, we had a shoot at Niagara Falls last year for Forty Creek, and literally the DP, uh, the director 
from LA, he wanted us like five feet in front of the fall, like five feet away from the falls, just looking at the water for a long time. Like we were, wow. we were right there and I was, I did some of it FPV. So you were literally, you're in the goggles and you're right there and it's, that it's must be so wild. intense. And it's just, and you get the drone back and it's Fuck. just like, we had a rain spinner on there to keep the, we use the Ukraine guys rain spinner. Yeah. Um, Cause, and the, and the camera package was just wrapped up in pla like it was plastic, plastic wrapped on the up drone. top. Yeah. Had to be. Cause we were soaked. By the time we got this thing back, it was just there's some pictures on that package i sent you of that okay. i mean there must okay. be that 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 makes me think that there's got to be drone casualties oh, yeah. every day going into <laughs> volcanoes <laughs> or into deep deep depths of something drones crash all the time yeah, anybody who's a drone pilot and they tell you they haven't crashed they're either lying or they haven't but, been doing it for more than a week but do they send in do they send in like uh you know lack of a better term but like suicide drones yeah. Do they, you yeah. know, into projects, uh, I would imagine something like the BBC sending a, a drone into an unknown area or unknown territory. No, they totally do that. We haven't had any of that, but they, they do it in film too, where they literally like crash cam drones mm -hmm. now, like head on converging shots with, with drones, either yeah. with Inspires or with now like Komodos are cheap enough. They're 10 grand. So it's a Komodo's a camera that they're willing yeah, to... Isn't that funny, eh? A $10,000 camera, $20,000 drone, and it's expendable. Let's just crash this booger. Yeah. If the shot's good enough, it's yeah. it's worth it, it's, I guess. I mean, it's sad. I know. For us at home, it was... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so interesting. So now, so can you... You can't fly your drone in the rain? Uh, you can. Different ones. I mean, every drone sort of has its... It's like humans. You have your strengths and weaknesses. Okay. Um... So yeah, some of our machines, the FPV stuff is particularly vulnerable to rain and the env environmental conditions because it's more exposed. It's more like there's more electronics that are close to the surface. Although if we needed to, to fly in the rain, we could waterproof that to a certain extent. You can actually coat the circuit boards with stuff to keep them from short circuiting when, when water gets on them. But I mean, everything's somewhat vulnerable. Some of the bigger machines now are IP rated, so they're IP rated for the, for the rain. That Alta X that we flew in Niagara Falls, it was, it's not IP rated, but it's it's very environmentally protected. And I mean, I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't fly a drone in the rain if there was, if it was around cast and crew. Niagara Falls, we were out over sure. Niagara Falls. The only thing we were risking with that shot was the drone itself. The drone. And the, the production team knew that that was part of the risk being that wet. Everybody had signed off on this is a very risky thing to do with the machine, especially because he wanted us out there for basically half the day, you know, getting, right. trying to get these shots. Although it was a very fun commercial. You've seen it. It's, I'll send you the link to it. It's, this guy ends up rowing his rowboat up Niagara Falls. It's an awesome commercial. Oh, true. Cool, man. Um, it's hard to do. It yeah. must be something else to be sort of looking right at the falls like that. It is. Uh, I'm, I don't know if you're into the, like the very very side of it like water has energy like if i'm around rushing water all day i find I, it, it affects me if i'm in a place like niagara falls like I, I think maybe because i'm a drone pilot we've been flying niagara falls for a lot of years now i think we've sort of specialized in it because we live relatively close to there we figured out it's a hard place to fly legally we figured out how to do it so a lot of times people come to us like last year we did man called auto down in niagara falls we did the 40 creek job there we've become sort of the de facto drone team down there cool um but i find whenever i go there maybe it's because i fly there or maybe it's just because of all that water i find it's intense 
Um, and especially after wow, I've been really? out flying over the water all day, like it's a, it's a natural wonder. It's a, a beautiful spot and it's a shitload of water that's flowing over this thing. And if we're down in it, like it's intense because you know, you're, you've got $40,000 so sort of on the end of a string out over the falls <laughs> for one thing, but I, I find, I feel it. I think there's, there's energy comes from things. There's that much energy flowing over that thing. And it's, and I think the drone feels it too. Like it's. <clears throat> I don't know. It sounds very fairy, but we're, we're all affected by stuff, and we're all affected in ways that we don't necessarily know. And science hasn't even really proven. But things get affected by other things, and I mean, hmm. you've got to be very, very careful when you start. These are part of the environmental conditions that build up, whether it's even just stress of the pilot trying to send that drone out there. Like I remember that that Forty Creek ad. They were just like, "Go again, go again, go again." After a while, I was like, "You know what? We got one more." I've got one more of these and then we're not doing it again. I just, and the drone was soaking wet and we've been flying for six hours, like right out over the falls with, you know, a hundred thousand dollars worth of cameras. And I was just like, nope, we're doing it one more time and that's it. And then he's like, yeah, okay, I respect that. That's, that's fine. Just, we, we got to get this. I'm like, okay, we went out, got it, landed. He's like, awesome. We got it. And I just felt like I didn't want to do it anymore. Right. I don't know. Wow. Maybe if I would have done it one more time, who knows? I mean, who knows? Probably and that's just fine, because but, somehow yeah. your brain perceives your eyes coming out of your head and, and moving out toward the falls, or yeah, you become, something like that. The drone, the the drone becomes a part of you. It becomes this this yeah. uh, an appendage in a way. I mean, you know what it's like. You it's exhausting yeah. when you're driving a car. When you're doing this, the crazy stuff that you do, nobody could, nobody can do that the way you do. You know how? I mean, you you could feel if the the air pressure was you know three psi low in the left front tire or you're going to feel that the same thing with the drone i'm going to feel if that motor's lagging a little bit i'm going to feel it sounds crazy but you no, just get, so much you get yeah but it's an extension of you totally and then you get exhausted yeah. your concentration level begins yeah. to lessen yeah no that makes so much sense and that's really crazy yeah it's like telepathic with machines it's like virtual reality yeah. things like that we have more senses than we know. I mean, we have our eyes and our ears and our taste and our, you know, but there's other stuff. We Our brains are incredibly powerful and we can perceive more than we think we can perceive or more that science has even, even proven. And I think that's the kind of stuff that people are going to, we're going to start figuring that stuff out maybe too. Hey, I grew up in BC. So I no, that's, that's, a, stuff like no that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> So is this uh, Interesting. the uh, writer strike that is currently happening in uh, 2023? Is that affecting you? Well, it hasn't yet. I mean, not, I mean, I think all the productions that are booked right now are going ahead, except for Star Trek. I just heard they have all their scripts. Yeah, but it it will. I think we're going to see the lag, you know, in in the fall. I think we're definitely going to see a lag, and I'm a little scared about that. I mean, we're coming out the end of COVID. COVID was 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 great i mean the the we had three months of no work but then we had like our first year of covid was our biggest year ever there was so much content being made last year dropped off a little this year we were hoping for another a bigger year maybe than last year but now with this writer's strike i, I think it's not going to be luckily in the drone world we're union we do you know feature film and, and tv in the union world we're also non-union in the like we do commercials uh we do corporate work we do all of that stuff as well. So we're diversified. And then I've always been more diversified than that. Like I've got my pyro company still. We're doing, well, Raptors we don't do in the summer, but we've, I've 
got a bunch of other stuff going on, so I'm anticipating relying on some of the other stuff okay. this, great. this yeah. year. But we'll see. We've also invested a whole lot. Like, I mean, we were dying. We were really anticipating this new Inspire coming out. We're super excited to get one, but it's a huge cost, you know. So we're having to invest a whole bunch on a year that's potentially not going to be a, a great year, you know, because with these things, you buy a new drone package, you kind of want it to be paid off within two or three months because you never know how long it's going to last. That's <laughs> when, right. I mean, if, every By second. the time you get to use the Inspire 3, Inspire 4 will be out. Well, I just mean it would have <laughs> crashed into the side of a building or okay. augered into a field or <laughs> yeah. something else because they do, they do tend to, to, they're consumable, let's say, sometimes. Okay. Yeah, It's not wow. like the old days where they just fall out of the sky for no reason, but there's the stuff that we're asked to do on set is is pretty intense sometimes and there's... Yeah. Yeah, mistakes are made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not even mistakes. It's just there's consequences. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've done commercials. Like, I've done car commercials where every car has been wrecked by the end of it. Like, we did, I remember we did that Subaru dog park show, a couple commercial. That, oh, yeah, that, that was Jamie. Yeah. Was... Yeah, Jamie did that. Um, those cars were, <laughs> it was a great commercial. Every one of those cars was wrecked by the end of it. You know? For sure. And that's, but they got the mm -hmm. best commercial ever. They got a commercial that lasted played for three years or right. more and sold a lot yeah of yeah 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 i've totally wrecked dodges and yeah we've, Chevys we've to a point a where cars. it's like yeah this car uh, if we didn't run we, if we didn't wreck them nobody wants them after anyway yeah. yeah 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 what do they do they just sell it at, au <coughs> at auction so actually like, they destroy like, them yeah. a lot of them are destroyed I know, yeah. yeah 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 they have to but with the drones it's the same way but it's sort of harder in our world to try to off like for us it's like you got to try to determine the level of risk and then offload as much of the that risk as the financial risk as possible. It's like, okay, you want this shot? It's really tricky. This drone's worth this much money. If we pummel it into the side of that hill because we were chasing you at ninety kilometers an hour, yeah, but at least you air that. Mm -hmm. Like you sit down with the director, the producer, and you tell them, okay, I get what you want, but this is what we can do. Yeah. But if you want us to try that, I mean, the level of of danger rises. And, but you've at least aired that. Yeah. No, we have to. And that's why with the heavy lift stuff, we never, they always, oh, do you have your own camera? Can you fly your own lenses? It's like, no, I'm not going to buy a $100,000 camera and an $80,000 lens. 100%. You know, that's got to be your camera. You guys, we all got to have some skin in the game. Here 100%. Because we've been doing it for a long time. The technology is great. There's still... But. Know, but. There's always a but. I did a show a few years ago. We were up north. And we're out over a lake. We have a scene where we're bringing a boat out of the water with a couple of dead people chained to the boat. And we've got tons of police divers around. And the drone is out over the lake and a propeller popped oh, off. That was my buddy Mike. Was it? Mike Reed. And it, oh, Mike, that's Mike, right. Yeah, he's it a great was. guy. Mike, yeah. yeah. He's a great guy. Yeah. Um, uh, it was Mike that Randy went to Peru with, right? Yeah, she went to Peru. Well, yeah, she went down to Peru with him and a couple of his buddies. And yeah. To do ayahuasca, you know, like yeah, yeah, totally, man. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say that. My my youngest daughter, <laughs> she spent a few weeks in Peru with Mike and his yeah. buddies doing yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, Mike's an awesome guy. But the the drone just hit the lake, and uh, we all watched it fall. Yeah. But we serendipity, we had a bunch of scuba divers in the lake for the show. Yeah. So they went down and got the drone. Yeah. 
No, it's it happens that quick. It happens in a heart a heartbeat. We were on a big, big, big commercial shoot downtown Toronto like five or six years ago. Monster.com, the resume company. I don't even know if they're still around. Probably are. I don't know. I don't have a resume, so never had a real job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it was it was an intense job. They had half a downtown closed off. It was the idea. This big purple monster was storming around the streets of downtown. So it was all this like flying to get plate shots of the monster's POV or looking at the monster downtown, flying our heavy lift drone at the time, which was one of the ones that we'd built, you know, and then all of a sudden poof, it just. Poof, tips over, falls out of the sky, smashes into a million pieces, lands on one of our cassette cars, like the cars, like the show cars, um, 20 feet away from cast and crew and oh, video geez. village and everything. And everybody's just like, well, what happened? I'm like, well, I don't know. Um, and then we went back to our trailer. I went back out. Everyone's like, damn, you drone guys are terrible. It's horrible. Oh. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what happened. And then the director's girlfriend, it was, she was, he was German. They'd come over, she had an iPhone and she'd videoed the whole thing on her iPhone. I'm like, can you airdrop that to me? So I have, my insurance company's going to want to see it. We got to try to figure this out. And actually I, I had the video, we were in the trailer. I was like, ah, oh, what the hell? And I sent it to Mike Reed. Um, okay. He was in LA and I, I was like, Mike, check this out. This is so weird. Got any ideas? And he, and uh, then we were just in there like, I mean, you're so messed up. Like you crash a hundred thousand dollar camera and lands in front of, every all your peers in the middle of that like it's terrible you're just you're just destroyed we're sitting in the trailer i'm just destroyed you've you've got a bucket and that bucket is what used to be your gorgeous <laughs> drone and it's all, it's, it's literally no. in a home depot bucket right um mike ca calls back or texts back he's like play frames between one uh, between you know 32 seconds and 39 seconds or whatever play that frame by frame so we go back i'm like frame by frame by frame and we're right downtown in front of the scotia bank tower so you're looking up at the drone and then if you play it frame by frame you actually see a, a rock come off the top of the building and fall down and get sucked into the props break the top prop off Whoa. break the bottom prop off the rock goes flying props all fall off drone crashes down and hits the ground. somebody had thrown a rock some i mean it had to have been a person had thrown the rock off. This is a locked off. Trying to two hit blocks the drone. Locked. I don't know. The only thing I can imagine <laughs> is this was a Sunday in downtown Toronto, full lock off. It's the Scotia Bank Bank building. Like I don't I think it's only bank stuff in that building. A security guard having a smoke on the roof of the building. Maybe he doesn't even know the drones there. Maybe he does. Usually buildings have like the rocks on the top. Like sure. The, you know that shit sure. they put on to keep the roof from falling off. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. So he's up there. He just as a joke maybe he's with his buddy watch this or maybe he just kicked i don't even know but somehow i mean it was a sizable rock came off and because of the props are, are sucking so much air it kind of sucked it in and then poof, blew it apart and it crashed. crazy and we had the video so right away i was like oh my god i got it like i went to the producers i went to the director i went to the everybody on set i was of like of course this was this wasn't us like this is how this went down and yeah, we sort of vindicated Man. ourselves. I mean, you never want to have that happen, regardless of the reason. But it was like a whole new, as far as risk assessment goes and, and, yeah. and, and security, it was like, oh, my God, like it's the stuff you don't think of, like threat from above. Somebody's yeah, you could never imagine. You could never imagine that. That's but on a Sunday, yeah. you're bored, man, yeah. and you see a drone. <laughs> yeah, you're going to throw a rock? 
But I mean, this yeah. is a forty-story building, like not even bigger than that. Like the Scotia Tower is a tall building. Yeah. It's yeah, great. that's crazy. So it's the stuff you don't think of, and wow. the same with like with what you guys do. It's like you you try to think of everything, but there's right. still going to be just the random shit. Sure. You know. Yeah. But when you're good at it, you can uh, get through anything. And that's when you have your security. That's when you have all the other stuff in place. So if even if everything fails, you're not going to kill anybody. Absolutely. You know, you're gonna you're gonna break some shit. You're gonna break some expensive stuff, but you're not gonna hurt anybody. That's the that's the main goal. Absolutely. We're just making movies. I mean, come on. So. Yeah, but we're making movies with our new drone, drone boy T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh? I uh, I don't wear different shirts on this show. This oh, really? <laughs> uh, two times. This is the third time I wore. A, Nice. Different shirt. Different yeah. shirt. Yeah. I love this. It's yeah. Great. What kills us too is he doesn't wash the other one at all. <laughs> well. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's a, it's a tradition. <laughs> you smell you smell good for this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. So, so yeah, it's always interesting. And that's what I like about film too is like the fact that every day is different. You know, I mean, you guys are like, you know what it's like. I mean, I don't think any of us could do day jobs where it was the same thing day in and day out. No. Film, we're on a different location. It's a different setup. It's a different gag. It's a different shot. It's different. Yeah, it's fun. A lot of time with us, it's a different team you're working with. Sometimes it'd be nice to work with this. If you get a nice team, it'd be nice to work with them a little longer. There certainly are certain crew members you, you see and you're like, oh, all right, sweet. I'm on this one. Yeah. I'm yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, totally. There's a trust level. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I've been on shows with a different drone guy and I go, uh, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, there's only a few of you guys that... There's really only two main teams in Toronto. There's us and, and Chris, and he's awesome. I mean, me and him get along great, and we share ideas, and if we have problems, we talk to each other, and we sometimes share jobs. And... Is he the fellow that was out on Umbrella? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. Unit, yeah, I've met him a few times. He's, super, he's really nice guy. Yeah, good super guy. awesome. He's really smart. He's still building his own stuff. Like, he builds... He's in that world of still building most of his machines, I think. Okay. But, yeah, I, I respect, did, uh, respect his work. M-O-K, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he also did. I did a spot recently with him as yeah. well. Yeah, no, he does. He if he does, if we don't get it. He gets it, and that's fine. Yeah, I hate it. I always yeah. tell Chris, Ugh, yeah. it's you. Yeah, no, <laughs> I kind of want him dead, but perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it all the time. Like I wouldn't want to work doing my job five days a week. Right, it'd be too, too intense. I don't mind doing a five day week. Or a couple five days. Yeah, but then you got a three or four day off. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. It's just, it's too much. That's the beauty of the commercial world. And it's the beauty of what you do in general. Yeah, we're not, we're day players. Yeah. It's it's the beauty, and I mean, it'd be great to be making a check all the time, but. Sure. If you got enough of it and you're, 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 you can put together a career in a different way. It's Mm -hmm. it's gig, it's a gig thing. Yeah. Well, speaking of showing up on set and, and seeing your crew and whatever, I mean, directors are often uh, someone that is new. Mm-hmm. Um, you must get a ton of directors, especially with the drone thing being very popular nowadays, directors that have these big aspirations, dreams with the drone and what they want to do and what they can accomplish. And you must shut their heads down a yeah, little bit. We've got to lower people's expectations as best we can. I mean, hope usually we get a pre-production meeting or we get a, a tech scout day. Uh, ideally you want to hope you have a, a tech scout day and that's when you get to meet the people that are involved hear what their visions are, try to interpret that into what we can do real world. And then if it is super crazy, lower their expectations and then hopefully exceed them. 
on the day as opposed to vice versa, promising. Mm-hmm. Them, promising yeah, them it's the nice when image. you can say, this is what we can do. And they go, oh, yeah, we didn't know you can do that. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And then a lot of times you have, like, if you really can't do it for whatever reason, maybe it's physically impossible, maybe it's not safe. Physically impossible, they don't care about. They're, they're used to just being able to bend space and time and make the world do it, yeah, <laughs> do it anyway. <laughs> but the safety card always works. You know, oh, totally. It's true. just like we can't do it because it's unsafe, and here's why. Like people really underestimate the, the danger of a drone. Like even last year, I mean, luckily we haven't had a big injury in a long time in, in Hollywood, our Hollywood world with drones. There's one that I heard of. But last year there was Inspire an Inspire 2 job in Korea. Somebody got hit in the face with an Inspire 2 and Ooh. got a fair amount of, I think, 32 stitches or something on set. But, I mean, you don't want to... Luckily, it happened not in North America. It happened a long ways away. It wasn't really publicized. It was swept under the counter until I talked about it today on this world-famous <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, but there ha- And thank God there hasn't been a big accident. But that's what I live in fear of, is there being a big monumental event, somebody getting severely damaged from a drone because you've seen the size of these things there yeah Yeah. and it stands to reason that it will happen yeah not a matter of if because because we're it's being used so much it's it's a timing issue and it probably won't be because of somebody was incompetent it it will probably be machine error or it will be something stupid like somebody throwing the rock off a roof of a building yeah that's really something else was expecting that to happen that's a criminal event right there man oh my god we had 30 pdos on that job i was like this is what just happened there's somebody in that building threw a rock at my drone let's go get them and they were like how quickly were you did you get it to mike and and be able to get this information back it was like a half hour 45 minutes oh wow okay probably if whoever did it actually saw the consequences of what happened they probably did yeah high tail dip the fuck out of there yeah i know i would have i wouldn't have tried to hit a drone with a but that's what i worry about is is those things you can't think of everything Right. No matter how late you stay up at night and try to rack your brain about this stuff, there's always always something that can get you. And that's part of the challenge. Like, we just need to be be vigilant. You need 100%. To be, you need yeah. to be good. Awesome. And you can't fuck up. <laughs> well, well, Mike, on uh, that note. or uh, Tom, sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm calling you Mike now. Yeah. Um, it's drone pilots are all the same. Yeah, yeah. who cares? Chris, <laughs> Mike, <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Whatever. Um as we sort of start wrapping up, uh, we would love for you to uh, sign our table if you want. Sure. Um, anywhere you want. Everyone obviously signs right there in front of you. Yeah, try not to but cross over be... onto somebody else's, like some people have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just pick a nice clear spot anywhere on the table. Well, anywhere oh. you want, yeah. You're left-handed? No, right-handed. This is my right oh. hand. Well, that was weird. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do stunts and podcasts. Our pleasure, Ben. Tom oh, Comet. Nice. Oh, we'll put a little drone up here too. Yeah, wicked. <laughs> yeah, sweet. Everybody draws a picture. Oh, a I love that. Look at the little drone. Oh, I'll put a little camera on there too. We'll put like a little, little eye. That's terrible. No, that, uh, I think I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. That's a, 
That's like the latest technology right there. I'm going to get my six-year-old granddaughter <laughs> to see if she can draw one. There you go. See, I used to always sign my name with the, with the star, but maybe I should be signing my name with a little little drawing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's where the comic came from, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, that's cool, man. Tom, thanks for... Uh, Letting us uh, investigate your world, brother. You're yeah. fascinating, brother. No worries. Sorry, we kind of went off the garden path a little there, but no, no, I love it. Everyone's got a story. Like we're all evolutionary people, and we've all you start somewhere, and you just. I mean, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in ten years. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're back we'll on. the Promise podcast. you'll come Let's back and tell us what you're doing. Yeah, man. Yeah. All right. It'll probably be, you know, blowing fire on my ass. Or no, oh, I already did that. Yeah, that, yeah. I want to see that with that with, <laughs> with that g-string thing on. Yeah, yeah. What color was it? <laughs> Silver. Uh, <laughs> that's brilliant. There's some pictures in that thing I sent Oh, don't you. worry. It's All right, up. sweet. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Tom. We really appreciate you coming down, man. Yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for, for being on Going Again podcast. That's a great show. Thanks. Thanks, thanks. guys. Okay. Cut it, D.